Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Berenfeld tonight. And we have an amazing program set up for tonight. Tonight is sheer 120 with the Let's Get Real team. Gary, you were on exactly a year ago. I looked it up. It was exactly a year ago. Just you should know. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So, welcome back. Thank you for coming back a second time. Sheer 120. It's a, it's a nice number, right? 120? Sounds good to me. We should all, we should all be <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not supposed to talk already. But I want to tell you that after the last time, yeah. people... People like stopped me and said, I heard you on this show. I said to myself, like, you know, like Oprah, like step aside. There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> Oprah, who? Like, exactly. No Please. Amazing, just amazing thing. Reaching thank you for coming back. And okay, let's let's get started again. So we always thank every week the platform. The reason why it's such an amazing platform, because everybody comes every week, everybody posts it, they they email people about it, they tell people about it. That's how it grows. We, 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 we count on the people to let people know about it. Say every week, you know, let people know, you know, somebody texted me, he's not married for many, many years, doesn't think he's getting married. I said, so if you, if you feel it's not for you, you know, let other people know about it. So, um, you know, just every year, is, it could really help a lot of people. We get a tremendous feedback from every year, a tremendous today. You know, we're going to all schmooze it out together. So thank you for all joining us again. If anybody wants to get our WhatsApp flyers, you can WhatsApp me personally at 848-525-0066. That's 848-525-0066, or you can go to menachembernfeld.com. You could sign up for the emails. Every week, he will email you the flyer, and then after the share is done the next day, he will email you the links for the shiurim. They go on a lot of places. They go on YouTube. They go on the Google Podcasts and uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Coalition, and, and then we have a number also people call up to, so, so keep that in mind. All the people watching the replay on YouTube, please click on the like button. So... Uh, Get the likes and subscribe. So Menachem, when he uploads the Jerem every Monday, Monday morning in the middle of the night, you will um, you will get um, notified of the new share. Again, for everybody who's here, I just want to first always start us thanking the advertising sponsors, the, the Lakewood School for promoting us here in Lakewood, New Jersey. Special thank you to Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central for voting on the in the Five Towns neighborhood. And a special thank you to Kyla Kaplan Shmuzan from JCM for Jewish Content Network for always promoting us across all the digital Jewish platforms. We really appreciate it. And um, again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 p.m. on this Zoom ID, we've been doing this already two and a half years, so, I mean, get into it. But if you're here the first time, it's it's always this Zoom ID, and um, we have different abonim, therapists, we've had it all. We have a tremendous lineup coming up, a lot of very powerful topics, and so please join. Next week, we have with us, um, he was actually one of the first first year, and he came on with, with somebody else. But next week's going to be Rabbi Shai Cohen from his Rosh Hashiva of ZA. And priority one and from five towns. So uh, he's tremendous. He's one of the, you know, the Gedolim in Chinuch today. He's gonna, his topic is re- revolutionizing our children's Chinuch experience, how to successfully prepare our children for life. So, um, I mean, he's from the Gedolim in this, in this specific topic. So it should be a powerful uh, shear. Again, um, tonight we have a discussion in the honor of having world famous, I don't know, I call you TV therapist, but it's probably not appropriate, but I'm just going to say that anyway. He's been on all the shows, but he's written a lot of bestseller books. But the main thing is he's Mordechai Newman. He's a tzaddik. That's the main thing. He's Mordechai tzaddik. So um, thank you for coming here. We're trying to really understand ourselves, our spouses, our marriages. Be everybody here tonight. Always Shalom Bias programs are always like the most interesting because it's always like 
scared to ask the question, but like we always say, it's for somebody else. We know it's not for you. But at the end of the day, it's the most relevant to everybody. And, you know, everybody always needs this constant chizik in this Indian because um, it's, it's probably one of the toughest challenges in life. Tonight, share, share 120, the gematri that we came up with, Adam Toiv, Yehudi Toiv, a good person, a good Jew. Hopefully, if you have those good midos, you'll be a good husband, you'll be a good spouse, you'll be a good wife. It works both ways. So uh, <laughs> keep that in mind. Again, we're going to start off first uh, with Coach Menachem to give opening words about what we're here tonight, what we're talking about, and what we're trying to accomplish. Coach Menachem. Thank you very much. Welcome, everyone. And I want to welcome the newcomers. I know there were new, I got some emails from last week that people just got on the first time, which I thought everybody knows about it already, but seems like there are still a few out there that have not heard about it. So welcome everyone. And yes, thank you very much for the feedback last week. Amazing feedback we got from Shun Russell and Yaakov Solomon. And uh, just to see how much we still need to do the work to bring up the topics, bring up the discussions on the table. And uh, it's, it feels good to see that we can accomplish whatever we do, one step at a time, a little bit at a time. So I want to welcome tonight with us Gary Newman, the second time. It's real uh, an honor. And uh, the topic tonight is not an easy one. But this is what you do, so we're gonna need we're gonna need your help from the emails that came in. There are people we got emails, people who are just dating. They would love to know how to start on the right path. Just give us the tips so we don't fall into this. You know, we so many people have a challenge. They they want to know what's the first step. So that's number one. And then there are those who don't see any lights at the end of the tunnel. There are people out there who are really going through real challenges. And uh, they, I'm sure some people didn't even show up tonight because they don't think anything can help them. But if you did show up, that means there's still hope a little bit. So that's the spectrum going from somebody who is starting marriage, wants to know what are the right steps to those who have been there for many years, gone to therapy and tried everything and are wondering what's this all about? Why doesn't it work for me? Or what could I do now? I've tried and they don't see any light. So here we are with somebody who hopefully could help us with a lot of Siyata Deshmai, but I do want to mention that it's going to be very general. You know, from the questions that came in, it's hard to have that dialogue back and forth. If you have any questions that you feel that it's too general, then unmute, ask, try to ask the question, your questions so you can have the dialogue back and forth to get your answers. Otherwise, I, I feel many times I get the emails that he, you know, I didn't get my answer. I don't know if it could help me in my situation. What should I do? For that, you have to have that dialogue if you feel comfortable. And um, it's a shame with that. We should be able to, everybody, whatever they need, to find those small steps, small ideas. Uh, change in perspective, a little change so that they can say, wait a second, maybe, and sl slowly get some light, shed some light and hope in their marriage so that they can get to much better places in Mitzvah So thank you very much for being with us tonight. And the Mitzvah we should have a lot of siyata deshmaya, we should hear what we need to hear so that we can grow and get to the right place in Mitzvah Beautiful opening. Thank you for that. 
So again, tonight, uh, before we get into tonight's share, I just want to talk about last week's share because it was such a powerful share last week. Gary, last week we spoke about emotional neglect. So it was a very powerful topic. And um, I just wanted to mention, like so many people, I don't know if anybody, the people here tonight who's heard it or didn't hear it, but it was extremely powerful. It was definitely something that, you know, most people should listen to. Um, we got a tremendous amount of feedback from therapists that um, have been working with clients for years. And just from listening to that, that two and a half hour share, the, the breakthroughs of what people found out of self-awareness of themselves was just unbelievable. So it was really, really something spectacular. And um, I just advise everybody to try to listen to Chair 119 with Jim Russell. Um, okay, tonight's year, we're going to focus on the key differences between successful and failed couples, marriages. Learning how to better our marriages and ourselves. So it's a very broad open topic of Shalom Bias, really getting into it. A lot of questions came in from all walks. We'll try to cover whatever we can cover, Gary, right? And uh, we'll try to get to it. Um, first, I want to just learn to share tonight for a friend of mine who was very, very sick. His name is Menachem Ben-Devoro. Tonight's mm -hmm. share is sponsored again by, they sponsored also last week, Fresh Start. Um, who also actually Shimon Russell is the is the head guy who started the program. So I'll just read a little blurb about them. And um, Fresh Start is an intensive seven-day retreat designed to help you understand, process, and heal yourself from unresolved trauma and abuse. They've spent, they, they have one slot open for the women's session starting November 6th, which is in a week. And they have two slots open for the men's session starting November 20th. They do week by week, men and women, different weeks. To learn more, you can go to their website, jewishfreshstart.com. That's www.jewishfreshstart.com. Or you can call them at 248-301-9997. Um, we're going to post information, send it after the share as well. I personally heard, you know, feedback the people that went there to attend, it was really powerful. It was really life-changing for them as well. So anybody has any interest, reach out to them. We'll send it out. And Rep. Shimon Russell is the co-founder of, and many other trauma experts work to create this incredible program. So if anybody's interested in it, please read, go to their website. Or you can email us. We'll send you out the information. I'm going to read Gary Newman's bio. I'm going to try to shorten it up. And uh, then we're going to start with his opening. Here we go. Harava Goyanatzadik or Mordechai Gary Newman. New York Times bestseller author, M. Gary Newman is a psych psychotherapist, rabbi, and author of seven books on topics of marriage and divorce. There have been over one million copies of Gary's book in print. He's the creator of the Newman's Method Creating Your Best Marriage video program. He's appeared in over 50 times on the Today Show, a dozen times on the Oprah Winfrey Show, as well as NBC, NBC Dateline, The Katie Couric Show, Steve Harvey, Good Morning America, and The View, and the most famous, world-famous show ever. Which one, Gary? Right here. Coach right Nock. here. Right. This is all like... It's almost like downgrading for me to say it. I'm being honest, like whatever, but I'm doing it for you. Oprah has mentioned Gary as one of the most best psychotherapists in the world. When she had him on the most memorable guest show, Gary and his work has been featured in People, Time, Parents, Parenting, Cosmo, Red Book, oh, as well as newspapers, including Chicago Tribune, Lakewood Times, Miami Herald, the Wall Street Journal, and the Yated Neman. I'm just joking. Gary developed the Sandcastles program, a group of experience, uh, a group experience for children of divorce mandated in many divorce courts with over 300,000 children have completed the Sandcastles program internally, internationally. Gary co-hosts a new podcast video, uh, video cast, Shrinks on the Street, with his psycho, psychotherapist daughter, Esther Halpern, discussing all things psychological. He lives with his wife and children in Miami Beach, Florida. You can go to the website, www.newmanmethod.com. Rav Mordechai, the floor is yours. Let's do it. Well, thank you very much again, Osher and Mo, Osher Nachum. It's 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 a pleasure. I, we had a wonderful time last time, and I want to say to everybody that I really appreciated your questions, and I, I'm here to answer questions to try to help. That's the reason I think we're all doing this, but that's the reason I'm happy to do this and do it again. 
Um, even after last time, people uh, sent me questions and I, I will do my best to try to respond uh, to everybody uh, you know, who watches this and, and, and post watching it if I can, I'm happy to try to help. Um, so let me, you, your point is very well taken is that to speak to each person's specific issue is, is very difficult because uh, you know, everybody's not going to necessarily share their personal issues, but it is uh, crucial years ago as a therapist, I know that there's always great advice out there. I mean, you go to any, any therapist, you go to any Bubby, right? And then she's got a hundred wonderful ideas to do for your marriage. And by the way, all hundred are probably good to do. The issue is we don't have the time to do all of that in a marriage. So I always wanted to know what were the critical things? Where, what are the actions and energy that you can do that you will get the most value for what it is that you're doing? And toward that end, I did two, two national research projects. One where I interviewed and 200 men and one where I interviewed 430 women. And that was for the purpose of two different books. And the whole idea was through this massive research was to try to compare the differences. What are the salient differences? What are the happy, married, successful couples doing that the failed couples are not? And if I could figure out those few nuggets that would apply primarily to all marriages, then it would give me the opportunity to, to go to anyone and say, focus on these things. No matter what's going on, you can talk about all the details you want, but you really want to be able to focus on these particular issues. So I'm going to just give you a general, a general uh, way of looking at it. And the first thing that will come up and again, and I do plan tonight to talk about very practical things, not just theory and philosophy. I really want to get into the trenches and talk about what you can practically do. But the first thing is all successful couples, they always have this sense of priority on their marriage. The successful couples are always thinking about their marriage. Failed couples forget about their marriages. Failed couples, and again, when I say this, it's not to blame people. I, you could justify it and I understand it, but failed couples, they kind of forget about their marriages. The idea is I got work, I got kids, I have Minion, I have you know, Shabbos, I have so many things. I will not think about my marriage. And when everything else is done and I have a little bit of energy left over, then I'll focus on my marriage. And those marriages fail simply because we don't have enough energy and it's not going to ever happen. The, the successful marriages, they always seem to be thinking about what can we do different? What can we continue to do? What can we do new? How do we do things together? Sometimes it's natural for some people. Some people come from homes where they're raised with good marriages. It's a natural feel. Many people, most probably, do not come from wonderful marriages at homes, your mother and father. So it really takes some effort to think, what are we doing? That's, that's, pro, that's pro, you know, progress in our marriage. Whenever I speak, and I've had the pleasure of speaking you know, all around the world to thousands and thousands of people, there's always, um, there's always, one of the pleasures of this is a little old couple that always comes up to me afterwards and they always say like, you know, oh, we, we came out and find out that they're married 55, 60 years. And I always say the same thing to them. I say, well, you guys should be giving the talk. Are you kidding me? What are you doing here? And they always say the same thing. Well, we're always learning. It's never too late. And I, I love these, all of these people, these couples, because they really express the ultimate of what a successful marriage is no matter what they are there and they are continuing to try to always listen and when something a book comes out a talk comes out a sheer comes out and it's about marriage they don't think oh 
got marriage. Oh man, I got so many things to do. You gotta be kidding me. No, they're thinking, yeah, that's the one I wanna go to. That's the one I wanna be interested in. So I think that really sets the, sets the uh, fertile soil for what it is that we're trying to talk And I also wanna mention an important piece about the name of this, of this conversation tonight. I did not say happy couples versus sad couples. And I particularly don't use that word. And I think it is a very overused and a very dangerous word for many of us. Successful couples does not mean that you are always going to be happy. And our world is a very complicated world where there's an expectation of happy, happy. And if you're not happy, you're failing. And that's inaccurate. Look, obviously, we are, I think, we want to lead meaningful lives. Hashem brought us to this world and gave us a blueprint. There's a lot of leeway in that blueprint, but the idea is to give us a sense of meaning. Now, Bar Hashem, he created us that if we do meaningful work, that tends to make us feel good. That tends to make us feel happy. But nobody was ever promised a steady rate of happiness and a steady rate of joy and, you know, every yontif isn't about joy. One yontif is a, is a chiv of joy, right? So this idea that some people have that, you know, marriage is hard or marriage is not always happy and I want, you know, more happiness, that's great. But success doesn't mean that people won't have a lot of difficulty in life. And that will definitely affect marriage. And the beautiful thing about marriage is to be able, if you are successful, to go through life and the difficulties of life while having somebody who has your back, while feeling that there is some person, one person who really cares about what's going on with you. That is success. Even if we're in the midst of very difficult and challenging times, that's the success that we are looking for. You want me to talk about the uh, number one idea or where or usher or we want to uh take some questions or polls what do we want to do whatever you want to do you want to make another point that we have a lot of questions the questions could really will really the questions will really bring us uh bring i think us so i think so we want to have an open conversation tonight right well i'm just going to go with the first one because i think it is the question that i get asked probably in general the most which is if you have one thing to say about marriage what's the most important part of about marriage and I think everybody, I'm curious what everybody would say, but I'm, I'm pretty sure most people would say communication. That's what they would say. And communication is obviously so, very- you know, Gary, let me pause you. Let's do the poll. Let's okay. do the poll. And then let's continue, okay? Can we do that? Okay, okay. We have two polls, right? Yeah, we have two polls. Let's go, let's put it on. Are they going up or I'm saying them or what? No, they're going up right now. Are they going up? Ready? Okay, yeah, that's- let Everybody answer and then we'll, then we'll continue, Gary. Sorry, this is I, a I like virtual it. intermission. I'm sure you're used to this. We're taking a commercial break now. I'm going to do the polls. Okay. On average, how many daily, how, on average, how much daily time do you spend with your spouse talking uninterrupted? So how often do you speak to your spouse without like every second being bothered with somebody? One plus on a hour, daily average. On a daily average. One plus hours, 30 minutes, 10 minutes, or almost zero. Be honest. Okay. And the second follow-up question on that was really what Gary was getting at. And let's see mm -hmm. what you have to say. What is the most important part of a good marriage? Three options, clear and honest communication, giving to each other without expecting something in return, doing things together, working through life's issues, working out life's issues together. 
I couldn't, I could have been, I missed, I missed some stuff, but I tried my best. <laughs> Those three options. You could say something else. I don't That's funny. I love it. Okay. Give them five seconds. Let them. I don't see the, I don't see the three options on. Oh, here it is. I see it. Yeah, there, 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 there. I'm going to yeah. let you, people can't yeah. see people are voting. So when we're done, we share it. So I'll just give it a second. No, please. I'm sure Gary, there's like three, four plus hours that you do. So I couldn't put all those options there. So I was limited. So exactly. No, that's good. Right. Okay. Five seconds. We could just sing a Zemmer while we're uh, waiting on some background music. Is that again? What's Oprah's like commercial song? There must be like a famous song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's share it. Yeah. Share results. Okay, here we go. What's the answer? Oh. So the answer like this. On average, how much daily time do people spend with, with your spouse talking uninterrupted? Only 10% of people said one plus hours. The 37 and 39% was basically between 10 minutes and 30 minutes. And 14% said almost zero. So I guess between 10 and 30 minutes is the average what people are saying over here. And the okay. second question, what is the most important part of a good marriage? It seems like the winning answer, because you gave it away, was 53% of the people said clear and honest communication. 23% of the people said giving to each other without expecting something in return, like being a giver. And 24% of the people said doing things together, working through life's issues together. That's what the people said. Okay, Gary, now continue. Okay, good. So I'd like to talk. There's, there's so much to talk about on here. So you can X out of the screen, yeah. And I'm going to talk about the second question first, because that's where we were going. And I didn't give it away. Actually, I, was, I, I thought I gave it away that I was not going there. I think most people say communication. That's what they say. It's funny because the, the answer I was going to give is not on there. So people didn't have a chance. So that's even better. It's a little trick. <laughs> this was fascinating to me because in the, in the successful and failed marriages in the research, one thing surprised me and that came to, came to fruition. The number one important, most important thing for a marriage, I believe, and what I've been told through research, through my research, is not communication, very important, not giving, very important. It is appreciation. And it is so, it's so interesting because when you really come down to it, people in unsuccessful and failed marriages they summed it up when we really got them there that they felt underappreciated. They felt that whatever they did, however much they did, they're working so hard in life as a worker, as a parent, as a spouse, whatever it is. And what do they get? They feel like they're not getting the appreciation for what they do. And that really takes the wind out of their sails. And once that process continues to happen, it continues to go downhill from that point on, and it becomes a very negative response. So it, of course, the other things are important, but if you wanted to focus on one thing in your marriage, you should consider what kind of appreciation am I giving? And what am I getting? So I will tell people that if you want to change your marriage immediately, everybody who's watching, okay? Everybody who's watching or listening to this. If you tomorrow start by saying two or making two appreciative gestures to your spouse every day for the next week through Shabbos, and do me a favor, don't tell them you're doing this. Don't tell them you watch Newman and Newman says, don't even say that, just do it and see what happens. Now, first thing for people who aren't used to it, people are gonna become very suspicious. Like, you know, what do you want? Like, well, what's going on? Why are you giving me all this appreciation? You know, I gotta be like, yeah. But 
The point is, stay with it. This is what happens when we appreciate people. The magic of appreciation is when I appreciate you, we know what I'm doing. I am looking at all of you and I am pointing out the best of you. I'm summing you up for the best. There's plenty of things I could tell you that I don't like about you. Everybody is messy. Everybody's noisy. You all think that you're the most wonderful person to live with. You're not. I'm not. Please. Come on. We're human beings. But when I appreciate you, I forget about everything else in that moment. And all I focus and think about is telling you that I love something about you, whether it's something about what you did for somebody else, how you learn, how you do for others, your children, how beautiful, handsome, wonderful you are, how hard you work, whatever it is. And this is something that is so underdone and it's so easily corrected. When I have people in my office, I will often ask them to write an appreciation list and I'll give them five minutes, you know? They don't need five, they don't need two minutes. They barely can scratch out two or three things. And when I look at the appreciation list, I always say the same thing. You know, there are some things missing. Like, what about the fact that your spouse works hard? Your spouse is a good parent. Your spouse, you know, does so much for others, does chesed. What about all those things? And they always say the same thing. They always say, oh, that? Well, she's supposed to do that. He's supposed to do that. What? He's not going to be a good parent. He's not going to make money. She's not going to be a good parent. She's not going to be nice to others. What are you talking about? And that's a horrible idea that I only give you my love, appreciation, when you go way above the call of duty. Then, then I give you some kind of appreciation. That's not the way it should be. We work so hard, just a regular day. So many, most, if not all people, they're trying, they're trying so hard. They're doing so much. We as a from lifestyle, right? We already get up in the morning between everything we're supposed to do to serve our world and serve Hashem and our family. It already is so much. We shouldn't be looking for what extras we're doing or not doing. It should be understood that we're doing so much and we should be so appreciated for that. So please start appreciating and see where that takes you. And it really makes the other person feel so good. The more you appreciate the good in people, the more good comes out of them. The more you focus on their negative and what they're doing wrong every second, the more it's like, that's what the conversation is all about. So that's number one. Should we go on to the time element? Yeah, yeah, we asked the poll the time. Okay, the time element. This really struck me. And also explain what it means. It means time interrupted. Explain what that means. Yeah, time uninterrupted. Yes. So what I, what I was curious with people in this study, and it was an extensive study, so we asked them to self-assign themselves as happy, successful, all kinds of different things. And in different parts, we asked them different questions to try to figure out without them knowing what was leading to their success. So the question was, on a daily average, how much uninterrupted time do you talk to your spouse? Uninterrupted means what it says, uninterrupted, right? You're not sitting there on your phone. You're not having the kids run over and ask you a question for two minutes and what's, you know, what this homework is and sign this and give me money for tomorrow's trip. You know, you're not, you know, you're not interrupted. And the answers were remarkable because like your answers, too many people, 
were responding with very small numbers. Now I say a daily average means that it doesn't mean you absolutely have to do a certain amount every day. I mean, it means, you know, if you have on, on a Monday, you have a, an hour of uninterrupted time and Tuesday you have none, between those two days, you have 30 minutes daily average, right? So it's over the entire week, you know, what basically how much uninterrupted time you have. So this is what we found. We found that successful couples always had more than, not always, but almost always, had more than 30 minutes, a daily average of uninterrupted time. Unhappy, failed couples were talking to each other less than 30 minutes, okay, of, un, of uninterrupted time. It was very interesting. 25% of happy, successful couples, they, they spent 60 minutes or more. 25% of unhappy or failed couples, they spent less than five minutes a day on a daily average. So when you plotted along the line, you started to see, oh my gosh, what I tell people, what I tell you is before you talk about communicating and saying I instead of you darn person, all that stuff, all that you're reading about, the first thing is you can't even talk about loving somebody, caring about somebody, listening to somebody, being sensitive to somebody if you're not even spending a minimal amount of time on a daily basis talking to them. How, how can you, you know, you could be the most beautiful communicator, but if you don't have time to communicate and I don't know what's going on in your life today and I don't know who you met and I'm not chatting about your problems, your issues, something good that happened, something you're hopeful about, I got nothing. We, we're not connecting. We're not relating to each other. We're not having a relationship. We're just doing a bunch of have-tos. I have to do this. I have to do that. You have to do this. That's all it is. So just stopping and saying that for the next week, the next two weeks, we're going to start instituting. There, there's at least 30 minutes of golden time where we're going to be uninterrupted. And that time is just to catch up in your day. That's not the time to sit down and tell your spouse how much you're angry about this or how much you're angry about that. I, I want to caution everybody because if you start to do this and it's going to be very valuable, make sure that the beginning, because a lot of people, when you start, it's like, well, I haven't had a chance to tell him or her about all the junk and all the stuff that's in my head that I don't like. That's not the, that's not. What Eric, want. Somebody wants to know with or without a phone. With or without what? A phone. A phone. Without a phone. Put your phone aside. The phones are terribly interruptive to life, but they're terribly interruptive to our marriages. I love the phone. I, I'm not one of these people who like, you know, oh my gosh, phone, texting, we'll never speak, we'll never communicate again, the, the society is lost. It's unbelievable what we have on our phones. But the, there is an addiction where people feel that putting the phone away makes them very nervous and makes it very difficult. When somebody says, I have to take this, or they have to respond to an email, even if they say it's going to take a minute, it's going to take two minutes, it upsets the entire flow of the particular conversation. So if I'm talking to you for 10 minutes and we're finally, you know, you're finally listening to me and I'm listening to you and we're laughing or we're kibitzing or we're discussing something intensely and then someone of us has to stop and do something. Okay, what do you think? No, no, no. It's not like I can't just pop back into it. That's not, that's not the way it works. I might've said this, this, I don't know if I, anyway, this last time I can't remember, but I once heard a, uh, a Russian Shiva tell me about Rabbi Kiva when he came back after seven years. 
and he heard his wife uh, and he heard his wife in the kitchen and say, oh, how wonderful my, my husband is learning, whatever. And he turned around, he went back and went, well, that was seven years, right? So this first year, so he asked a good question. I, I mean, seven years, you haven't seen her, go in and say hi, you know? I mean, <laughs> you know, he just turned around. It seems from the Gemara that he didn't even, he didn't even go in and, and have an evening with her, or talk to her, or whatever, like go in and talk to her and then leave. And he said, he said, you know, some of this, then it would have been Rabbi Kiva would have been learning for two times seven years instead of going right back without interrupting. And he learned for one full 14 years. Okay. The idea is that obviously when you interrupt, no matter what the interruption is, it does change and shift what it is we're doing and the understanding about what we are doing. So absolutely. Whatever you can do, the two most important things you can do for any relationship is you can start appreciating more two times a day. That's a loving gesture. Remember, that's a phone call to say, I love you. It's, 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 a, it's a magazine. It's a rose. It's something, something. Somebody likes to eat, going, taking, doing something pleasant, whatever for them, telling them, I really love that you do this. I really notice how you do that. You know, the nice things. And number two is say, listen, Honey, I just want to set up some time, at, you know, whether it's after the kids are asleep or the kids are never asleep, so we can just, you know, stop. It's 9.30, it's 10, it's whatever. We go into the bedroom, we go out on the balcony. I live in Miami, so we can always go out on the balcony all, all, all winter long, of course. But we go out, we stand out, we, and we just, you know, spend some time talking, and we close the door so that we have the time to be able to really just stay in touch with each other. And, and it is key it is key the more you stay in touch with each other let me tell you that you just feel like you're living life together and very important you won't be sharing so as much with other people as well because what we tend to do is we just tend to find lots of other people to do all the good talking and all the good kibitzing with instead of our spouse and 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 that's and that's very sad uh with all the work that we're doing okay let's get into it we have a lot of questions here people want to ask live um please Okay, let's start first with a question over here. Okay, here we go. Um, my husband's a good man and a good father, but I am not happy. And I know it's nothing horrible that he does. It's just that there's a lack of excitement in our lives. My brother and his wife travel, even though they have much more kids than we do, and we don't. Whenever we go out with them or friends, it just makes me sad that our life is just not as happy as everybody else. They're laughing and they're so much happier. I know I can't change him, but I wonder, did I make a mistake in marrying him? It really affects me, and I hope, and I feel hopeless about this. So, this is she said it's a female. Is that right? Yep. So, she is really uh, remarking about something which is also something that that uh, successful couples don't do, and it's uh, it's really Facebook. It's, it, Facebook was we did research about Facebook to find out that that can depress people that people really get depressed looking at Facebook. Now, why is that? Because when you go on Facebook or now it's TikTok or whatever the, whatever you know, du jour, the uh, online program is, what do they see? They see everybody else having a wonderful time. Everybody else having a wonderful time. And by comparison, we pale by comparison because obviously the thing that people post, right? They post wonderful times. They're not posting when they're having arguments, when they're holding the kid's head while they're throwing up in the middle of the night, et cetera. And even when people go away, oh, it's all just wonderful in the champagne and the jacuzzi, but we know the fact is that 
go away, and there's plenty of plenty of difficult times for a lot of people, and some people do. So the 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 heart of a marriage is to say that I am committed to this. Okay. Now, of course, we're not talking about abuse, but short of abuse, right? I am committed to this. Granted, there might be other people who have a better marriage than you. There are people that have a better marriage than you. Believe me, because people have a worse marriage than you. Believe me on that. There's no doubt about it. But what you have is somebody that Hashem brought you two together. You brought these kids into the world. And that's to be taken so seriously as to say, it's my job to make a choice to make this life and this situation the absolute best that I can. The best might pale compared to my brother. My brother might you know, be more, you know, more easygoing. He might make a lot more money. He might do all kinds of things. And number one, I caution you that looking at that, you might be reading it wrong. And, uh, you know, they might not be so happy. They might have plenty of fights, plenty of things you don't know about. That's number one. But number two, even if they do, the fact is, if you're going to compare your spouse to other people, you, you know, very often you'll lose if you have that kind of mindset. Now, surely, I'm sure this woman can look around and say, he's a good man. He's a good father. I got news for you. There's plenty of rotten men out there. And there are plenty of lousy fathers out there. So what you need to do is you need to consider, huh, the fact that my husband's a good father, what does that mean to me? What, what would I trade for that? Would I trade the excitement and the joy that perhaps another man has? You I mean, if you're married to him, I would, you know? I have to recognize that those things that I see that are good about him, I have to really look at those and I really have to appreciate them. One thing that successful couples do is they maximize the positive and they minimize the negative. Everybody's got to do that. There is no successful couple that does not do that. You must, in successful couplehood, maximize, I'm going to say it again, maximize the positive and minimize the negative. What do I mean? I mean that, again, I, I got all kinds of issues. You got all kinds of issues, whoever you are, okay? If my spouse wants to look at all of my negatives, it's a no-go. But if my spouse wants to look at my positives and say, wow, those are amazing positives. Yeah, negatives. All right. He this, he that, he that, she that. that. Yeah, okay. But oh, this, she, the, oh my gosh, amazing. You know what I'm saying? We have to do that. We have to do that for ourselves. You have to do that for yourself. And if you're not able to do that for yourself, then some of it is looking within and saying, yeah, why am I not so much happier and so much more comfortable and confident with the good things that are happening in my spouse in my home and the more I see that again in my spouse the more I'm going to love him or her and the more they're going to be that for me the more the more love they're going to feel and the more they're going to feel you know wanting to do for the family it doesn't mean of course that you can't try to convince your husband to go travel a little more to put him in this particular woman's case, to put him in situations where you feel he will be more joyful. So, you know, you might say, oh, my husband, you know, oh, I, I want to go to, um, you know, I, I want to go to uh, the beach 
a beach vacation. Uh, he loves to go to museums, you know? Okay, so if you're gonna say, but I, I gotta go to a beach, well, guess what? If what brings out the best in him and makes him happy is to go to museums and you want him to be more excited and more happy, then, you know, go to museums and you might have to forego what is to you that happy time at the beach. I bring this up because my wife likes beaches. I like museums. We always joke that uh, I made a compromise that my wife lets me go to any museum on the beach. Well, anyway, that's not, not happening much, but, but we do, but we figure out. So I'm saying that if you do want your spouse to be a little happier, do the things and go to do the things with him that make that he that speaks to him so that you'll see him in a more jovial mood and you'll be able to react and connect with him in that way. Great, Gary, amazing. Let's get to some live questions. Um, you're on first. All right, thank you, coaches, co-host, 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 <laughs> Gary. <laughs> oh, mouthful. Um, so I actually had seen you on Oprah and now it's nice to see you here. Um, <laughs> I have a couple questions. So before even entering into the becoming the successful couple, uh, dynamic now, hang on to the screen. Okay. There we go. Um, do you believe in in the dating relationship and friends first, there are so many men today who in their thirties and forties, who for whatever reasons, it could be uh, freshly divorced or finding themselves or just content living their life financially stable without commitment. Um, do you feel that it's even an option to meet them because maybe you're going to be the one to all of a sudden they're going to feel they're ready. Okay. Is that, you want me to answer that for you? You had something um, else? And then, so, so that goes with this question concept of, do you believe in friends first, even as it relates in a marriage? And so is that a healthy thing? Um, I know it's like, uh, from a Torah perspective, I'm not, I'm not talking about dating when you're 19 years old. Um, and then the, the second question is, so you said it's, it's important to save, you know, funny things and to discuss with your spouse. What is the healthy ratio percentage of like, how much should you rely on friends versus spouses. You know, they say it's good and healthy for women. Everyone have outlets, everyone has like a circle of friends because you don't always want to vent or, and I'm not talking about venting about your spouse, but about whatever's going on in your day. Yeah, so I'm gonna answer the second one because I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good question. And, and this, uh, this, this person's asking, you know, you, you, you to say that I'm investing, my spouse is going to be all of my social interaction, like that, that's setting people up for failure, right? So um, the short answer is in an ideal world, and that's important to say, in an ideal world, we'd like to get most of our, you know, fun and interaction from our spouse. Most is 51%, right? 50, 60%, you know? Um, but uh, in, in a real world, um, that can happen for some, 
but that can happen for a lot. Certainly there are certain people who don't relate that way. It's very hard for certain uh, women to feel like their husbands can really understand them. I mean, I do, you know, I think it's important to try to, to, to try to keep at it, to try to help men understand how to be sensitive to women, uh, how not to just try to give them answers. Men tend that's a old, old thing that they do. We try to like, you know, solve the problem instead of just listening and respect our spouses and know that they can solve the problem too. They're not asking us for solutions. So there's things that we can do to help our husbands know better how to respond to us. But I think the important thing for, for uh, women, for wives to do is to recognize that, listen, I definitely can't miss out on my relationship with my spouse just because we're not spending time. Uh, we're not you know, dating, we're not vacationing, we're not spending the nightly, daily, average time. That's not a good reason, okay? Because I might, I have to put in that time in order to feel we need that as a minimum to be able to have that sense of communication, that sense of love. But I do think it's important for, for women or men to understand that if, if there's a certain amount that my spouse does try and we connect, but I still need a lot more, um, then they should feel comfortable finding uh, female friends outside the relationship or same gender friends, obviously outside the relationship um, where they can definitely chew things over and laugh about things as well. It's just that you wanna keep that balance that even if I laugh with my best girlfriend today, that tonight when I get with my spouse, I say, oh my gosh, you know, me and Hannah, we were like laughing about this or that or whatever. It's nice to bring these things, you know, back to the relationship. So it's not, things that are so exclusive of the relationship. Um, but it's okay if it is, you know, it's not, it's not cheating if you're doing that. It's just a matter of always making sure that you're still getting a, a significant amount from the relationship and that you're at least putting the time and the energy and the effort in order to be able to do that. Um, so that, so does that answer that? Does that answer that question? Yeah, you didn't okay. say a percentage, but yeah, basically you're saying well, so if you're enjoying your if you're getting fulfillment and, and enjoying yeah. with your friends, you could always bring it in. And of course, Correct. there should be that balance with your right. own spouse. Correct. Um, I, I did say 50, 50 to 60 percent. However, a percentage is really irrelevant uh, because unless you're a mathematical genius, I'm not sure anybody's walking around, you know, um, you know, considering the <laughs> percentages up which there. Which one is which one should be more with your spouse? You're saying, of course. <laughs> with your spouse i'm saying but I, I i purposely i guess my point i'm not saying 75 percent with your spouse because i think that's that's a, a realistic space you know some people might have that but they, i think that's in the minority of people um I'm, the same way many the guy time you know guys like taking guy trips guy you know for sure for sure now the, the, now understand that in the from world right there's a lot of guy time so there's a lot of built-in guy time if, if you're a from man. So, you know, there's, there's minyana, there's, uh, there's kiddish, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of guy time built in to the structure in, in a from lifestyle. So I think that there are people also are still looking to do other, you know, guy trips and such, and that's, that's okay. Um, but for men, I tend to feel that there's much more of an automatic meeting place. It's just because of shul and learning itself um, than there is for women. Uh, so, um, you know, but obviously, you know, women find their way um, to go back to your first question is um, I'm always. Yeah, I mean, I'm suspicious of, of taking a, a, a loving wanting to give, you know, a female who, who is looking at somebody who 
uh, is uh, somebody who doesn't seem to be that interested in marriage or somebody who's very comfortable where they are. Of course, they might eventually, you know, marry somebody and it's nothing wrong with, with, um, with dating that person, but there is something wrong with dating that person and expecting uh, something unrealistic when the person has told you or people have told you about that person that he has let it know, be known that, you know, he's, he's happy where he's at. So, okay, you know, I mean, whether you wanna strike up a friendship with somebody with the, with the possibility, although it be faint, that's up to the person. But if a person's really interested in a serious relationship, um, she should look at somebody who's interested in a serious relationship rather than consider the fact that she's gonna harangue some guy who doesn't want to be in a serious relationship into one. Okay, beautiful, Gary. Um, a lot of live questions, a lot of questions we wanna to get to. Let's, let's go Please. to the next live one, you're on. Hi, can you hear me? Yep. Hi, okay. Hi, Gary. Thank you so much. Um, I had a question based on, you know, the research that you've called and the um, perspectives that you're sharing. How would you say this translates to suggestions when dating for the second time, like post-divorce? Well, post-divorce, dating for a second time, if um, people have children and they might still want to have more children, but I, I think a second marriage I do see differently for people than a first marriage. Because in a first marriage, there's a lot of uh, you know, career development. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to build a family. We're trying to build a bias name and be a shawl. We're trying, there's a, there is a lot of that. In a second marriage, it's a very, it's difficult. I, I'm not gonna tell you any different, okay? Second marriage is a higher divorce rates than first marriages. And one of the reasons is, there's two reasons. One reason is because I don't think people learn enough from their errors in the first marriage and they therefore fold it into the second marriage can't tell you how many second marriages you know you look at the person and you know they might look different you know he might have a little more hair a little less tummy a little more whatever but you, you sometimes you stand there really sometimes you say oh, who does this remind me of? oh yeah your first spouse yeah but anyway so a lot of times people don't really you know get therapy or, or consider themselves, you know, how they can grow. Um, but the other thing is, if you have kids, I mean, it's, it's a challenge, right? There's not much honeymoon, right? There's, there's kids is trying to make that match happen. Step parenting, it's hard. So I have to feel that a second marriage, people have to think a little more about what, about what makes me happy in this relationship. This is not only a relationship that I'm getting into in order to develop and build and grow. It is but there should be some real happiness. I mean, I should feel that this person is really adding something to my life. I kind of feel in the first marriage, you know, we're young, we are, uh, you know, what's the word? We're altruistic and, and that's wonderful, right? We have to do that, we have to be that. But I think in the second marriage, when we have our children and we have our finances to, to, to be concerned with and, and her children and his children and exes and whatever, there's a lot coming at us. And I feel that we should really be, I, I, I want to say, I'm going to say self-centered without sounding like selfish, but I think we should be a little self-centered. Say, you know, I, I, do I really feel that this person makes me feel good, really wants to give to me? I mean, part and parcel, if I tell anybody, anybody out there, what I want in a marriage is I want to marry a giver. I want to marry somebody who loves to give. That doesn't mean that they don't take either. But unfortunately, let me be very clear with you, in marriages, there's, there's, this, uh, there's this pairing that happens commonly, and that's 
um, a, a giver who loves to give and a married a taker who loves to take, you know? And believe it or not, this works for a while until finally, you know, the, 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 the giver, uh, you know, just runs out of gas and the taker feels like no matter what they take, they gotta take more. And of course, I'm not just using an extreme example. Givers very often train people not to give back to them when the spouse wants to give them. No, 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 I don't want, you know, they, they, they deflect being given to. So be aware of that. In a second marriage, yes, sure. I, I'm happy to give, but I'm very happy to receive. And, and I want to be able to receive that. Life will be challenging enough. You must feel that the person really wants to make your your day and your life brighter. And without that, I think it, it's uh, it's it's a bit doomed. I just want to mention I just want to mention one other thing. I know it's maybe it's whatever, but uh, I heard a shear from Robert Schaefer. I've been seeing Schaefer. He speaks a lot about marriages. One thing he says very interesting about second marriages. He has a shear just on second marriages. He says most people get divorced. They always feel it's hundred percent the other person's fault and they did everything right. And he said that the bottom line is in every divorce, there has to be a certain percentage of blame that you take to yourself. And that's the part you have to work in in therapy before you go into the new marriage. Just going in saying that person's 100% wrong, even though it might be like that. It's not realistic because the, the, internally there were things in you that, that caused the marriage also to end. So those things, yeah, I'm just pointing that Very much. So. I, always, I always tell, I always say that whenever I ask people, why are you divorced? I always get two answers. One is he or she was crazy. And two no, is Gary, 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 the famous joke is they walk into Besden, the husband walks in, and the wife, you know, this joke, come on. Go ahead, tell me, please. The husband walks in, and the wife walks in the Besden and says, Before you say anything, we know that he's abusive, controlling, narcissistic. We know she's crazy, borderline, BPD, and out of control, depressed. Now that we cleared that all up, why are you really here? <laughs> right. So the second reason people tell me is I was young and stupid when I got married. Whatever it is, there are all ways to deflect what I've done. And I think. What's important about the point you made, and whoever it is, uh, Ravi Schaefer, I think you said, who, who right. made it, is when people sometimes think, I wasn't at fault. What they mean is, I wasn't the aggressor, okay? But what you need to learn, even if you feel like you were beaten up, even if you feel you were emotionally abused, if you feel you were physically, not feel, if you were physically abused, guess what? Before you move on, you have to understand, why did I get into that relationship? How did I stay in that relationship? What is it about me? So it's not just, I think people always say he or she was crazy because they think that that was, person was the more aggressive, assertive one. But that doesn't mean that you don't have a lot to learn about how you didn't stand up for yourself, maybe. How you were placed and allowed yourself to be in a weakened position. How you continue to give to somebody who was not giving to you. How you were unable to ask to be given to that is that is crucial if you want to get healthier and be able to play into another relationship okay let's go to the next live question hold on that's just unmuting hi hi um i have a question why is communication not the most important thing in a relationship if showing appreciation is through communication well first of all if you want to say that appreciation, because appreciation can be done through different forms of communication. Of course, if you give somebody a hug, I guess you would call that communication. But normally people talk about communication just about the verbal, the verbal conversation. Um, communication, uh, and, and that's my point. My point is a lot of times things are expressed through things other than 
simple words. As a matter of fact, most of communication is actually done through nonverbal cues. So for everybody who says, I just have to say my words, it's, it's, it's not that simple, right? I can say to you the same words and they can mean two completely different meanings. I can say to you, that's great. Or I can say, that's great. You know, so, so much of communication is tied up in, uh, you know, reading micro expressions, your tone of voice, uh, your body posture. So it's not in any way to diminish communication. And according to your point, yes, if you want to say that appreciation, the only way you can appreciate is through some form of communication, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, then you would be correct. It would come under the direction of communication. What I just mean is that, that people tend to get lost in a lot of details in communication. Instead of saying, you know, uh, you hurt me and you, or whatever, you're, you do this and you do that. Instead say, I felt this way when you did. I mean, that's all good stuff, 100%. I didn't say that communication was not high on the list. I was just saying that as far as doing something practical and quick, I think appreciation for me in, in my study um, rose above the feeling of underappreciation. Now, to your point, in order to feel appreciated, you might have to communicate that appreciation. But I think what people tend to mean is like, how do we learn how to fight right? And how do we learn how to talk to each other correctly? And definitely important, but for many, many people, that is a hard thing to learn. And it is a skill set that you need to learn. Many people need to learn it. And I'm happy to tell you right now that the old standby, which all of us should learn for our spouses, our children, our business colleagues, for everybody, is when people talk to us, is stop thinking, how would I feel if I was in their shoes? What's the answer? How do I want to respond to them? And instead, just shut down and think, what does it feel like to be this person at this very moment? What does it feel like to be this kid? Not okay, the kid got, you know, pushed over. Okay, big deal, big deal. Damn, it's a big deal, you know? I always kid, like, if somebody, you know, if, if your kid gets, you know, hit at school, you know, and the parent sits there and, okay, oh, I get better, hit a butt, whatever, you know what I mean? I think to myself, really? I said, if somebody came over and hit me in the street, that's assault, that's a, that's a criminal offense. Are you kidding me? But our kid, I, you know, so stop, stop thinking about yourself. And instead, always think, what does it feel like to be this person at this point in time? And then you almost always come out with the right thing. Oh, I can't believe that happened. I feel you must feel so sad about that. Or that's wonderful that you must feel so good about what happened. You know, you stop worrying and thinking about the right answer and you just stay with that person. That part and parcel is the most important part of any communication is just to be there because that's all we want in communication. So I'm happy you brought it up because I didn't mean to, to neglect it. All we want, the most important part of communication is human beings, we live in packs. We need each other. We need a minion. We need a, a community. Why? Because we need other people just to feel and get us. You know, I don't care a person, Rahmanul's son, with a terminal illness can talk to somebody for a half an hour and that person walks away and they feel better. They're, they're not living any longer. Nothing's changed, but you know something? They feel better. A little kid, a spouse, whoever feels nervous, they talk about it with their spouse, talk about it with their parent, and the person just understands it. Just They get it. They don't have any answers. You know what? They feel better. 
they have gotten it out. They've shared it with another human being. That's the, the, the bracha of neshamos. And, and, and we're all connected in some way that we can have this powerful, magical impression on each other. It's, it's, it's remarkable. We do it every day if we do it successfully. And we don't realize what a nace it is that we're able to do that for each other simply through a hug, a loving, a, a loving look or a comment that says, I really get you and I really understand you. Very, Thank very, very powerful. Um, I'm just wondering, I think before we continue to the next question, it's, I think it's important. You mentioned very good skills, communication and appreciation. My question is, why is it sometimes for people, sometimes they're struggling, why is it so hard? If it sounds simple, just communicate and show them that you appreciate. And then we know many out there that are struggling and feel like we've been there, done that, doesn't work. Maybe there's some idea. What, what, what is it that you can maybe say it's hard for people to communicate the appreciation or to just show appreciation? I'm just saying it sounds simple. Well, first of all, let me explain to you that it's my job to make it simple. And I, I, I want to oversimplify because it makes the point that, yeah, if you're not doing it, then to your point, Coach Nachum, there's something wrong with you. That's what you have to consider. Now, now, having said that, and of course, I don't know everybody, so don't tell me that it's not really you, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. But that's the point, right? It is that simple. So if you're not doing it, it's something wrong with you. Now, where, why is it that somebody doesn't do that? And to that, it's a complicated answer, but I will, I will oversimplify it as well. I, you know, we come from childhoods, and believe you me, those childhoods teach us everything about how we look at life. Everything. Okay, so, you know, you grow up and you have these extraordinarily loving parents who think the world of you, believe you me, you grow, you grow up and naturally you like yourself and you give to others and you're, you're selfless and you give and take, it's wonderful. You grow up with two people who beat the living daylights out of you. You grow up and you feel naturally that you deserve to be beaten up and your, your whole life, you're working against and on an up, up, uphill battle, trying to like yourself and believe that you, you deserve good things. I'm giving you extremes, right, to make the points clear, okay? So you can take a, a, a little Arab child and you could take this innocent little kid and you can convince him that all Jews are bad. And you can take, and he can be 30 years old and he sees you or me and, and he's seething and he's, he hates us. And we could go over to him, we could say, hey, look, buddy, buddy, you don't even know me. It's not real. And you know what he could say to us? He could say, really, take my pulse. And I got news for you, his pulse rate, his pulse would be racing. He'd be sweating, his heart would be pumping. You know why? Because what we learn as children, it affects our physiology. It affects everything about us. And if you're raised by loving people who love all people, you see other people and you see other and, and, and you love them and you accept them and you have a very easygoing way about you. So that is a that is a, a uh, an easy way to say that people who are not doing the simple things in life, they should look at themselves. They should have the courage 
uh, and to, to look and say, where did I come from? And get in touch with therapists or get in touch with in books. Uh, you know, I have books, many people have books to try to make those links to try to help you see, huh, you mean that I'm behaving this way as an adult with my spouse, not because of what my mind is telling me today that she should do more or he should do this, whatever, but really just because my parents were negative and I'm negative about myself. So I'm always negative to other people or they were controlling. So I'm controlling. So everything I'm doing is controlling. You know, we should start looking at those pieces and I'm happy to go on about it and give other examples, but obviously, unfortunately, it's not a simple line from child. It's a squiggly line from childhood to adulthood. Because we all realized it. We'd all say, ah, I gotta stop doing that. And this is the downfall of psychology. The downfall of psychology is psychologists have wanted to teach us that your childhood screwed you up, messed you up. Too bad, you know, that's the way it's gonna be, you know? So the, the, the heartache of, of telling people that is awful. Instead, what psychology is meant to do is to say, yes, you can blame your childhood, but the point is, is that you're supposed to say, if I can convince myself that my childhood is really what is causing this, then that empowers me to say, I don't wanna be that anymore. God bless mama and papa over there. Let them go to old mama. I'm not judging them as parents, but I can realize that there are some wonderful things I picked up from them and some negative things. And if I can realize that the primary reason that I am not doing great in my life is because of some of the negatives that were imbued in me as a child, then that gives me the empowerment to say, okay, I don't wanna always be my parents' son. I wanna be Mordechai Gary Newman and I wanna know what that works for me. And it's going against the grain because the natural feeling is always going to feel a certain way that's negative and not good. Always consider that when anybody feels angry, hostile, they don't like their spouse, they don't wanna communicate, they're, they're upset. They always think that everybody would feel that way. And logically we know that there's no such thing. You can't put anybody in one situation. You could get 10 people to feel the same way. Ain't gonna happen, you know? So why is it that one person in the same exact situation feels very differently than somebody else? gotta be something more than just the logic that's going through your head to speak yeah. to that i think that was a very important piece to understand yes for some it could be very hard and i'm just going to take it to you know, a drop more so okay now i understand but my spouse do doesn't want to go for help this is exactly what they're suffering from i'm trying to do whatever i can but my spouse doesn't relate and he, he or she, they're, they're just saying it's me and they don't want to go for help. What do we do now? So listen, there's no doubt that that's the hardest situation that you're talking about. And when one spouse does not want to look at him or herself and doesn't want to get help. I mean, the only thing I can say at that point is you do your very best to get that person help. Um, you know, whether it's getting a, uh, a rub or somebody that the person respects, to convince them to go for help. Um, people threaten divorce, you know, legitimately, unless we get help. Um, you know, if, if it's that meaningful to somebody that they feel they have to do something in 
order to make you know, some kind of difference, then they have to push that agenda if they feel it's unlivable or it's so painful or hurtful. But the first thing, the first thing I would tell somebody is get help yourself because who knows, maybe you're the one who is maybe taking things more personally than you need to be. Maybe you're the one who's feeling it worse than perhaps you need to be because your spouse is pushing a button. Triggering is the word that everybody uses today, right? So that when you mention something about my lack of skill, oh, or my weight, it reminds me that, oh, mom had me on diets since I was six years old, and you've, you've really torn into a sore spot in me. So suddenly, instead of me saying, all right, that's, that's your opinion, but I look great and I'm good at my skill and whatever, but you've, you've tapped into an old wound of you know, growing up feeling like everybody thinks I, I'm, I'm not valuable and I can't do anything right. And therefore I'm, I'm really taking it in the gut and coming back at you with much more pain than I need to. Sometimes getting help yourself can soften a lot of that. And it can also give you a little less noise in your head so that you can actually express to your spouse in a healthier way what it is you need rather than screaming, yelling, crying, silence treatment, you know, running away from it because you're so hurt by it. So in any case, you can get help yourself first and then see what your next move. And very often a decent therapist would be able to hopefully, you know, figure out a way to help you get that person in for help as well. Beautiful. Okay. So now I'll take it to the next question. My husband is constantly upset with me because I don't have time for him. We have six kids, and when I'm done with homework, dinner, and being a chauffeur, a chauffeur all day, I'm exhausted. He returns from Mars and is learning and expects me to look forward to seeing him. I get that, and I want that too. But he gets mad, and frankly, I'm, I'm just too tired. And when everything is done at night, I need my own time to relax. Uh, but he gets mad if I'm on my phone, texting with my friends, my sister. I don't know what to do. I'm happy he learns after dinner, but it leaves me with everything in the house to do most of the time. It's a, it's a, it's a great question. It's a great question, because I, I, think, I, I, I think most people feel this on some level. I mean, you know, maybe not to this person's, ex, I don't know if this is extreme, but I think, I think a lot of people feel this way. And um, whether people get very upset or they're very understanding about it, that becomes the issue. So there's varied uh, parts to this question. But the main thing is that this couple has to figure out a way to spend time, you know. And, and I, I, if, if she's asking the question, but if the guy was asking the question, the husband was asking the question, I would say to him very carefully, look, you want to spend time with your wife. That's fantastic. And she should be complimented, right? He wants to spend time with her. That's always a good thing. You know, people always complain, oh my, usually it's, it's uh, commonly, it's a lot of times they get the other way around, right? The woman wants her husband and the guy's always like, ah, oh, she wants to spend time. I always say, hey, listen, by the way, it's a good thing. You know, thank goodness she doesn't say, ah, oh, that, that, that guy left. Thank goodness I don't have to spend time with him. It's good that she wants to spend time. It's good that he wants to spend time with her. Um, but the thing we have to say is it becomes a responsibility of both people to make that time. And this is where I get to, and you know, you can ask Shilas, but this is where I get to things that people feel are have-tos. And the have-to-do comes before the marriage. 
And the bottom line is, you know, if he's going to Minion and then he's learning and then she's doing the homework and doing it, I mean, yeah, there's going to be a lot of distress and a, and a lot of tiredness. Um, so I would say to him, you know, consider whether it's one night, a couple nights a week, can you shave off some of that time? Can you help your spouse? And as if you want your spouse to be more energetic for you, with you, then, you know, what can you do around that? Can you get uh, you know, can you afford help in the house so that that reduces some of that, uh, some of that energy? Um, there's very practical things that people can do in the name of making our marriage better that we don't do. Uh, maybe, we, again, like, you know, spending enough time helping so that we can get to the daily average uninterrupted time, making sure that the time we do spend at night when she's tired is valuable time for her. Notice she's texting at night. She's on the phone. She's maybe she's on TikTok, whatever she's doing or Instagram. Right. So, you know, guess what? I don't know. Maybe she maybe should go on Instagram with her. Say, hey, I'll look at whatever. You're looking at interior design. Uh, somebody uh, told me uh, tonight that they spend enormous amounts of time. There are millions of followers. Somebody who, about pool cleaners. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Pool cleaners and carpet cleaners, where they take these really disgusting pools and carpets and they show you how they clean it. And they got millions of followers. People are watching this. They're loving this. Okay, guess what? It's not something that I would uh, think I'd open up and go to, but if my spouse was interested, heck, I'd be interested. And I got news for you. We do this for our kids. We do this for our kids all the time. You know, if your kid uh, starts to like uh, karate or football or dance, or she's, you know, in modern art, all of a sudden, if you're a good parent, okay, right? You're gonna be very interested. All of a sudden, you never knew the first thing about modern art, you never knew about karate, you didn't know the first thing. Suddenly, five years later, you're an expert. You know why? Because if you want to stay connected with the kid, you've got to get interested in what the kid has to say. And, the, and this is, I don't know, I don't know how Hashem did this, but Hashem is, is very, very concerned with us being very connected to the people that we love. And for some reason, he wants you to know about modern art. Go figure. Somehow that's going to change your life, and that's important to your neshama. But the point is, same thing with our spouse. So I'd also say to this woman, invite your husband into the things that you are relaxing with and show him and see. Now, you know, maybe he comes home from learning, he thinks that's silly. Um, then the other side would be for him to say, look, there's nothing silly. People are interested in all kinds of fun, interesting things that might not, you know, be fun for you. Men and women have different views of things, but we need to move in that direction to be able to to find these other things interesting as well. And I think that's what marriage is about. I think you're supposed to be married and at the 10 and 20 and 50 year mark, you're supposed to say, man, I never thought that I'd be interested in this and that because I married my spouse and I became interested in some of her things. She became interested in some of my things. And that's why after a while we begin to develop similar likenesses. We begin to look alike all the studies, if we're really connecting, we really begin to grow and we begin to see life through the lens of somebody else. That's really the, 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 the beauty of what a marriage develops for all of us. Okay, Gary, hold on one second. I just want to see somebody's going to ask live. Okay, you're on. 
I'm a little bit nervous. First of all, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and thank you for the last time you came on. I know you've helped many people and myself. Oh, good. I really appreciate it. Um, so my question is like this. I, I've been to many therapists coming from a divorce and, you know, my, my husband and myself, both of us. My question. Both of you were divorced with your, your parents? Or growing you up, yeah, our parents, parents. Our parents, our parents. Not, we're, we're not divorced, thank God. We were, at the, we were at the, you know, almost there. Baruch Hashem, we found the right help, but it wasn't, it didn't come so easy as finding the right help. We've been through with many marriage counselors. Um, my biggest thing that I want to share up live, usually I don't come up live and I'm really anxious about it, but I decided to do it because I find that it just breaks my heart to watch so many kids suffer because of, um, you know, and, and I don't want to say this with any judgments at all. Um, it just really breaks my heart watching so many families collapsing because of choices. I see it for myself and for the many people that I work with or know that chose to divorce, um, they had a lot of support from their family to say, to, to do this, to push them to divorce. Having, now I'm thankful for not having family. But at that time, I see many families mix in and get involved and tell them to move away. And, and um, I find also many married people who are supposed to be adults are still children and are waiting for people to rescue them. So what can you say to adults who are married to, to be adults and find themselves? Because I find even Dr. Edith writes in her book how she divorced her, Dr. Edith Eager in her book, The Choice, she writes how she divorced her husband and then they remarried. I mean, yeah, but how she had to marry herself first. What can you say about marrying yourself first? And getting to know yourself first before you get married. I you, know there's divorce. I know there's, you know, for a reason there's health but still. Yes. You, you, you really bring up a lot of, um, I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate you working through your nerves because, again, I think when people listen, there, there's nothing uh, as impressive as somebody who has herself come from a divorce home and has been on the brink of divorce in her marriage and has worked to save her marriage. So I, I really, really want to thank you because, uh, you know, this is how we all help each other. And, and it's good to hear your voice. Your voice is very important um, to all of us. So I appreciate that. I want to pick up on a couple of things that you said because I think uh, we can learn a lot of different points from what you said. The first thing that I don't even know that you meant to say this, but this is very important advice. As you said, we went to many marriage counselors. This is a very important thing. I don't know how many good marriage counselors there are out there. I don't know. 
you know, not as many as I'd like to think, but it's like every, it's like every doctor, every process you have bad, you have good, you have great, you know, everyone's not great, you know, marriage counseling specifically is a very hard thing to do. I do it. I love doing it and, and done it for 35 years, but a lot goes into managing two people at the point of crisis and not making them feel like they're on one side and the other side. It takes a lot of skill. And to your point, if a marriage counselor is not working, leave the marriage counselor and go to another marriage counselor. Yeah, are the most vulnerable of times, leave the marriage yeah. counselor. You know what it takes to get a man to go to therapy? Yeah. You know what it takes? Okay. So um, it takes a lot. Um, it, it's not fair. It's just not fair having marriage counselors that are, you know, have a license and they end up really messing around. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think there are a lot of, I, I, I wish that, I think people do individual counseling, which a lot of times ends up being a kind of coaching and just support, I think can be helpful. Then when it, marriage counseling, the reason marriage counseling can be hurtful is because when two people finally go to marriage counseling and the marriage counselor does not do an effective job or makes things worse, then that couple things, well, we try that, you know, like what are we going to do now? Like now it's over, you know, like we got nothing. So it's, it's important, number one, to try to get to a marriage counselor that hear good things from multiple people if you can. And number two, like to your point, you know, go for three or four sessions. That doesn't mean three or four sessions you're going to be cured. It just means if the two of you are not feeling that we're moving in a direction, we're feeling that we're heard and something practical is happening, um, then, then, then say, you know, we're done or tell the therapist and then find another therapist. Like, you know, you must sometimes shop around to find the right person who fits for both of you. So anyway, I think that's, I, I, I don't want to spend more time on that. I want to continue what she said because- What? I want to continue one of the things she mentioned. Yeah, I want to go on with what but she said. But it was said. actually another point, another question somebody asked. She mentioned that she came from a divorced home and her parents, or her husband came from a divorced home. And obviously that's, you know, that's, that's probably one of the issues that, you know, make marriage difficult. So somebody wrote in a question, an unmarried girl who's starting to date, she said she comes from an extremely dysfunctional home where the parents were separated for many, many years. And um, they had back and forth a lot of fighting. And before she's getting into marriage, she's, she's literally fearful because she understands by reading the books and listening to the therapies. I mean, you know, being an intelligent person, doing this research, that her, her ratio for, for failure in a marriage is very high. So I'm just gonna continue on that. Yeah, so, so, so to your point um, that you were trying to say beyond that, which uh, this, this, uh, this uh, wife was making, was you know, being able to, as you said, marry yourself. But the point is, try, it, it is very important. And we do live in a world where there's so many books and seminars and, and, and children, there's so many things that can lead you in the right direction of self-exploration. And I think that is very important. And I think before people get married, um, yeah, of course, especially if they come from divorced homes or as you say, it can be a very hectic home, it doesn't have to be divorced. You know, remember that a lot of people are in failed marriages, they're not all divorced. About half of people who are still married, um, they're in negative marriages, they're in failed marriages, but they don't, they don't necessarily get divorced. Um, but finding out more about what your childhood speaks to you, what your sore points are. I mean, I wrote a book called uh, The Long Way Home, which is specifically for adults who were children of divorce, 
to try to work through their particular issues. There's lots of things out there, journaling that helps you know, take you through how I can try to make those connections to what it is that my weak points and my blind spots are. We've got to see those blind spots and become as clear on them as possible so that we can, you know, make ourselves much healthier people going forward. To your point about families, I think it's another very important point. Listen, families mix in, it's an issue. You know, look, it's not as so simple. Because we've had many people who have stayed in abusive marriages, sadly, and their families keep telling them stay married and they don't want to hear about divorce. So they end up supporting very unhealthy marriages. So, of course, it can't be that all married, uh, you know, married people, their families should just stay out of it and say nothing. But they should remember that they should be very supportive of marital therapy, of therapy for the children, of of helping support these people, giving them, you know, support, giving them mentor relationships. You know, sometimes just, you know, if you have a suffering couple, it's a sister, it's a brother, spend more time with them together, you know, spend more time, have them over more for, for more Shabbat. So, you know, sometimes just, you know, give them the space to see your relationship, get closer to them. You know, that's, there's like, to your point, much better ways of supporting and helping. It's easy, it is easy to say, get a divorce. I tell people that all the time. People in my, mar- in my office, they're mad, they're beating each other. I say, look, what do you want me to say? You want me to tell you to divorce? It's easy, as a therapist, it's the easiest thing for me to do. Get a divorce, leave me alone, go on. Go, go, to, the, go to the mediator and spend all your money and craziness. It's, it's a very hard road. It should only be in, in real situations of crisis. But um, to your point, that when you get married, we get married young, but after a few years, whatever it is, you and once you have children, you are responsible to these children. You have to do what it takes to really find the ways to make things work. And, and I want to speak to this point. There are a lot of people who kind of have this, this uh, martyrdom, which I totally understand. I do. And they say, look, I, 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 I'm stuck. I'm stuck because of my children or I'm stuck because of money, or I'm stuck because I, I don't know what I'll ever get out, whatever. And everyone's stuck, stuck, stuck. I really want you to look at it differently. Anybody out there who feels that way. I want you to understand you're making a choice. If you feel that I have to stay in this negative marriage for the sake of my children, then what you're saying is, I have seen or believe what it would mean to go and divorce. And I've decided that that, for reasons, children, whatever it is, money, whatever it is, is worse than what I'm in now. So therefore that means that I'm choosing to stay. I'm not stuck. You could leave, you could do whatever you want. No, no, one's, no one's shackled here. I'm choosing to stay in this situation. I got news for you. That mindset is a very different mindset. Stop telling yourself you're stuck. Instead, tell yourself, no, I'm making a choice. I mean, I I can't make a choice to uh, go back and be 10 years old again. I can't make a choice to uh, go back in time and reset clocks and the mile is mine and figure out, we haven't figured out how to time travel yet and change my life. So I'm not stuck. I'm looking at different options. And I like this option, even though it ain't a great option, I like this option better than the other options. And the reason why it's so important is when the human condition, when a human being feels, okay, I'm making a choice. Now you own that. Once you own that, you say, well, 
if I'm choosing to stay in this situation, I got to get up and I got to do stuff. I got to read books. I got to go get help. I got to figure this out. I got to talk more. It fills you with more excitement. It fills you with more energy and inspiration to do something positive, to grow and to change rather than the mindset of, you know, I'm stuck. Cause once I'm stuck, I'm not trying to do anything differently. And I'm just going down into a rabbit hole real fast. Okay, Gary, unbelievable. Okay, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Okay, so just going back to what was um, spoken about before, if our phys um, physiology is affected by our upbringing, how can we practically change that? Like the example with our boy, like what's he supposed to do? Tell himself he may have been fed wrong information all his life? Like even though he knows in his head, how does he bring that into his body and his being? Yes, so the, the short answer, again, it's, it's, it's more challenging and complicated than this, but the short answer is um, really having that connection. He has to really learn to believe. Let, let's take it away from him because I, I, I doubt we have a lot of um, anti-Semitic Arabs watching. So uh, let, let's say um, somebody who was raised by um, parents who were very uh, controlling and overbearing. So uh, you have an anxiety disorder because that's a good one, because anxiety, like, I, I mean, I, can, I don't control my anxiety, it happens, you know what I'm saying? Like, I get nervous, you know, if I have a test, if I have to, to speak, if I have to, you know, talk to a teacher about my child's problem, I get, I get so nervous inside, right? So that's a physiology, that's a, that's, a, that's a physical reaction to perhaps as a child, you know, being, um, you know, controlled and being told that I'm, you know, uh, or what acted on the fact that I'm not capable. And since I'm incapable, I'm very nervous about things. So let's go with that, you know, some example that I think that people could, you know, probably tap into you know, better. Um, so the, the first most important answer is to really, really believe that it comes from that. See, it's very hard to do that. It's very hard to make that switch. Most people say, no, I'm just anxious. What am I supposed to do? I feel what I feel, you know? I mean, everybody, would anybody be anxious? No. And would some people be anxious? Sure. But the fact is you have to say, oh, is it possible? It's possible that, that I'm really overreacting. I'm feeling this way because other people maybe wouldn't, but I'm feeling this way because my parents put this sense in me that I wasn't so good and I'm not good, I'm not good at school and I'm, you know, kind of stupid or a pain in the toughest or whatever the case may be, whatever horrible things or senses of things, doesn't have to be so horrible. So I first have to really understand that that could really create this kind of problem. Once I do that, then it, it's, it's tedious, but it becomes a daily, it's a daily grind to remind myself throughout my day that I have to start off my day, remind myself, I, I don't wanna be that person. I don't have to feel that way. I am more capable. I feed myself the positive messages. I wake up in the morning and I start to journal. How do I wanna see this day go when it comes specifically to anxiety, for example? And then in the middle of the day, I think, how am I doing? At the end of the day, I journal, um, how'd I do today? What can I do better tomorrow? How am I doing? You must be in, in progressive and proactive. Think of life as a ramp. You know, it's not a staircase. Staircase, you go up a step, you rest, you know? Ramps, you stop on a ramp, 
you're being pulled backwards. You know, it's it's constantly a, a, a struggle. You got to be able to move forward, and it, it it becomes that connection to understand that I am going to change, and it's not going to happen by just not thinking about it. It's only going to happen through a conscious state of effort and energy, and eventually, eventually, when you do that enough, you actually can change your brain you are that malleable where you no longer have to work so hard to to manage or prevent the anxiety in this particular situation you know and instead um you all of a sudden you're going to go like a couple of days oh my god i didn't think about being anxious and i haven't even had to do that and it hasn't hasn't happened has come back so it is tedious i i kind of you know the way I, I i i mean think about it this way if you've been playing the piano your whole life, right, and now you're 20, 30 years old and you get a new teacher, they say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. You're playing it wrong. You know, you're holding your fingers like this and you should really have to hold all your fingers like that. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the, I'm making a tiny difference, right? So you know how, how, how cognitive and tedious it would be to start all of a sudden playing the piano every single moment you know, remembering that you got to change the angle of your finger, it'll be, it, it's, it's a lot. And if you just go into closing your eyes and playing, you're going to go back to the old way and you're going to reinforce the bad habits that you learned when you're playing the piano. That's the way it is with life. Also, when you want to make these changes and you realize that you're in control, that, that these changes happen from childhood and you can actually make these changes, you start to actually look at things to do so anxiety you start to learn hey you know something i can meditate Before, when you think it just it's happening to me i don't know what to do does i have to breathe take medication whatever which which i respect you know of course i'm not making light of it but when you're in that mindset you don't think no no i'm getting control of this i'm gonna meditate i'm gonna get acupuncture i'm gonna breathe i'm gonna whatever it is i'm gonna do i'm gonna throw everything at the wall you know see what sticks and I'm going to make a concerted effort to change my life because I really can do this. This is not something, even though it's an old friend, it feels like it's my DNA, not my DNA. It's something I learned. And very often it was incorrect. It was a lie. We lie to our children. We are always lied to by our parents. Some of them are good lies. When a mother looks at her child and says, oh my gosh, you're the cutest kid in the world. You know, she, believe you me, she did not take a statistical survey of the neighborhood kids to decide where you plot along the continuum of cute kids. But you know something? It works. Good for you. Great. You're a little side dick. It's beautiful. Fantastic. That's good stuff to say to your kid. I don't mind. But unfortunately, with the same thing, also comes some of the negative stuff, you know? And we say, oh my goodness. Sometimes my parents, because they had issues, they had problems, they had a bad day, they had fights, they had, sometimes they didn't love me the way I deserved to be loved. And by realizing that, I can say, oh, so now that was a lie. That was an inaccurate, you know, it was an inaccurate per perception of who I was. And I'm still carrying that. And now that I know that, I know that I, the world is my oyster. I can open up and I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm going to take as much control over my own life to make those changes and focus on them as much as possible. That's how you do it. Very difficult to do, but 
absolutely doable for people who want it to happen. Okay, Gary, let's go to the next live question, if that's okay. Still have a lot more to go through. I hope you have all night. It's Florida, every year on vacation. Okay. All right, I gotta, I gotta take some deep breaths here. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited and intense about this. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, all right. Is this me? Yes, you're on. Okay. First, thank you so much, Coach Menachem and Asha Parnas. I've been listening for a number of months, and um, it's really helped me put certain things into perspective. Um, Dr. Gary Newman, I think I've watched every YouTube video of yours. Um, and um, I'm very, very nervous right now. Okay. But, so am I. Understand. We all are. Um, so I knew from the beginning of my marriage, something was off, but I didn't know what. And I sort of grew up with such things don't happen in our family. So I never told anybody. I married over 20 years now to an addict who says he wants to be better, but doesn't really want to do the work. He's absent parent, doesn't really go to shul, doesn't really support the family enough. Um, and um, just, you know, and then to add to it, like I have a daughter who's going to be entering Shaduchim and I don't know. What do you do? Do we lose her? I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. So I, I know it's a, it's uh, obviously painful. Um, when you say he wants to change, um, has there been any any behavior? Has he gone to somebody who deals with addictions? On somebody who therapeutically uh, rub yeah. any? He has been to. He's in therapy already for six years. I actually think that that therapist was one of his biggest enablers because he was able to say that I'm doing something, but there was no one holding him accountable for his actions. Um, when COVID came, addictions got way out of hand, never really got under control. Um, since he says he goes to meetings, I have no idea if he really does. Um, he Does he have a sponsor? I don't know. He, we don't really talk anymore. We live separate lives. I take care of the house. I take it. Basically, I would say in May, I decided that I'm not fighting for this marriage anymore because there's, I was spending so much time on it that I wasn't there for my children that I decided that my priority now is me and my children. And within three days, my teenage daughter said to me something that made me realize, she said, mommy, something's different. You're actually hearing me. Like I, I was putting too much into something that wasn't changing, that it became me and the kids. And I've told him straight out and it hasn't made much of a difference. Okay. Well, look, it's a, it's a, uh, it sounds, it's a sad story because uh, whatever the case, um, addictions, uh, when someone is an addict, it is uh, a dangerous road 
uh, it's something that uh, you know is a compulsion that takes people over, and uh, it it feels so illogical to those of us who are not addicts. It's kind of like just just stop it, buddy. You know, like what are you doing? But unfortunately, we know that there's uh, millions and millions of people who are addicts. So there's something going on in their minds and their brains and their childhoods that lead them to this place. Um, you know. I, I, I can't, you know, what, what am I, what, what, what could anyone possibly tell you other than um, for you to uh, live your life and get the support that you can get for you to be able to do what it is that you want to do with your life, you know, right? This is, I'm not going to tell you um, to divorce him or find another marital therapist to go to with him. Um, yes, I do believe that if he's an addict and he's going to, and he's going to meetings, that means that if, he's, if it's been a year or two, he should have a sponsor. Uh, very, you know, it's not uncommon that you would be able to communicate with that sponsor or get more involved in his particular growth. Um, but if yeah, he closes you down to that, um, obviously he's not doing the work, uh, whether he's going or not, because if he was really doing the work and he's no longer an addict and he's really working on himself, that would be somewhat inclusive of you at some point. Um, so I think that, you know, you know, what are you gonna do? You're gonna sit here and, and, and be sad every day about what you didn't have. Uh, yeah, you, you unfortunately have a sad situation um, that like to your point, if you say, I'm gonna live my life and I'm gonna raise my kids and I'm gonna be the best mother that I can be and you're gonna find friendships and you're gonna fill as many holes that you can fill um, with other loving people in your life, um, then, Believe in me, that's that, that who would say that that's not a life well served? If at some point your children are older and you make the choice, you say I, it's a better choice for me to leave this relationship um, because of the pain I endure or the potential that I could be freer in my in my sense of self, um, then you'll you'll make that decision. And that's something that you you know can can look to that decision on a regular basis to see if that's something that's meaningful to you. But my message to you is. Uh, of course, I mean, our hearts go out to you. Who, who, who wouldn't? I mean, uh, we're, it, it's, it's, it's a sad thing. And I could sit here and just be sad for you. And I could cry with you. And I, I'm happy to do that. But in the short time that we have, what I really want to say to you is, um, you be inspired. Go live your life. You know, if you're no longer filled with the weight of trying to manage this relationship, then, and your children are indicating to you that they appreciate who you are and that you're a, a healthier and better person and you're more there for them through, this, through these times since you have let go of that, then, then go forward and, and make that happen and, uh, and, and be the great person and try to not let this dysfunction weigh you down so that you can still have a long life to live where you can do many things that are productive and of great growth and can be of value to others. I do want to mention the Al-Anon groups. Al yes. I've, I've tried them and they traumatize me more. I, I can't, I can't, I, I can't handle other people's stories when I'm not handling my own. Um, uh, clearly, by the way, I think we would all tell you if you have not already, but I'm saying, but of course, whatever help you can get for yourself, whether it's Alan or it's through 
some personal therapist or friend or coach or Revitson, whomever, um, you know, you, 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 no, I'm you, in therapy for eight years already. I'm in therapy longer than he is. Okay. Um, okay. but yeah, it's just hard being a single parent when the other parent is in the house and you can't get the support of a, as a single parent from other people. Cause nobody really realizes that you're on your own. Okay. I understand. I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, whatever best friendships that you can get in order to be of help to you. And again, you know, I, I don't have time now to process with you whether the choice you're making to stay is, is better than the choice to separate. Um, but obviously you're making that decision for the time being. And toward that time, you know, we want to just give you all the, all the love and help and, and refua that you have a clear, a clear enough head to be able to go forward and love your kids and be kind to yourself and be able to get as much support as possible um, through, through this, through these times. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much for sharing. We know it's, it's, it's always hard to share personally. And I hope just uh, knowing that you did and other people have heard and other people, you know, care that uh, it can be some, it can be meaningful to you and it can be some changes for you so that you can go forward you know, tonight and tomorrow and, uh, and, you know, wake up and, and move, take more control of your life for yourself and know that, you know, when you go to bed at night, that you've done a great thing, you know, caring for the people who will let you love them in the way that you want to love them. Okay. So here's another question. We'll go to the next question. I've been married for many years and there is a major issue in our marriage that we can never resolve. There are many things that my spouse does and says that are very upsetting to me. How do I let her know? Every time I say something, I say anything, she says, I'm always criticizing her and it becomes a big fight. We've never managed through this and there is a constant problem. So I, I just, I was, he, he is saying that she always feels that he's criticizing her. Is that what, is that what the question is? Mm-hmm. So I think that um, speak, I want to speak generally to this because I think this comes under another, another area um, of the difference between uh, successful and failed couples. And that is that um, successful couples uh, work very hard to accept each other. They, they tend to minimize the criticism. And I think it's, it's fascinating how many people want to criticize their spouses. You know, they, they, they want to pick up on things and there's things that bother them so. And I, I think that, again, I just, you know, we didn't get married, you know, to be told all the things that we're not good at and all the things that we're messy at and all the problems we, we are. We really got married because we wanted someone to love us for who we were, you know, for who we are. You know, we wanted somebody to look at us and say, you're great. I, I, I love who we are. Instead of, oh, well, yeah, you know, you got a lot of work to do. You know, that's really not where, where we've been at, but we should know that we're not arrogant people. We shouldn't be arrogant. We should know that we got a lot of work to do, but so I'm, I'm, at a, I'm at a whole different place when it comes to, to criticism and acceptance. And I really feel that we should be thinking, um, what can I accept about this person? You know, what legitimately can I love and continue to accept? Uh, you know, I remember years ago, Years ago, I went uh, with my kids to see the Mona Lisa. 
And, uh, you know, all the Mona Lisa, everybody's got a, a lot to say. If you've ever seen the Mona Lisa, whether you like it, you don't like it, you're surprised, whatever it is. When I went to the Mona Lisa, I'm gonna tell you, I thought to myself, you know, I said, Mona Lisa, this Mona Lisa was, you know, she was a pretty gazetta woman, this woman. She was no thin woman, you know. I started to look at art and I started to say, you know, when I look through the lovers and Matisse's stuff, like, you know, it's so interesting that even the way women look, you know, like you go through certain generations and there's the hourglass design. And then you go through certain generations and they're supposed to be sticks thin, like they're starving themselves, the models, you know? And I, I, I learned that, that the human brain really conditions itself even to find what is attractive to a, from a man to a woman. I'll turn it the other way around. Same thing with women. You know, women, they go through different stages of generations. So for some generations, the woman, you know, the man who is powerful and, and wealthy and destroying companies in his, in his way, you know, that's powerful. At other times, it's, it's the more Ehrlich person who's just helping and doing and, and running nonprofits. It, it's so interesting what we are taught to find attractive. And the reason I'm saying is that it changes from generations to generation. So therefore, sometimes somebody comes to me and they say, oh, you know, he's this, she's that, he's not enough that, she's not enough that, whatever it is. And I started, started to say, like, like, where'd you come up with this? You decided, I mean, you're, you're saying it as though everybody feels like this is your spouse. Start to think first, what are the amazing things of my spouse? If you're thinking more about what my spouse is not than what my spouse is, again, I think I would call upon that person to say, why is that happening to you? You want to first think, let me count all the things that I think are great about this person. Because there's nobody out there who's got it all. Nobody, nobody. So you have to think to yourself, what are the greatest things about my spouse? And list that in your head. Now, if there are still things that you find that are complicated for your spouse, they, now you have to think nobody wants to be criticized. Okay, if you read them, uh, what's his name about uh, you know how to how to win how to win friendships? You know Dale Carnegie. Carney. Dale Carnegie, right? How how to win friendships and uh, and manipulate the people heck, wouldn't right. manipulate the heck out of people. No, that's not the title. <laughs> his first rule. His first rule is never Newman method. Huh? It's the Newman method. It's the Newman method. Yeah. His first rule is never. or something and and when they're they're vicious killers and when they find and when they finally go to jail they find them or whatever they're like excusing their behavior because like even even mobsters can't take criticism they can't they do not criticize so if we're going to criticize we should really think to ourselves i want to criticize what does a criticism mean it means i really want to help my spouse change because of something that i want that's a tremendous thing. You want your spouse to change something about them because you decided that it doesn't work for you. There, that's a lot of that's a lot of ask. It's a lot of ask. Now, hopefully, whatever you're asking them to do is good for them anyway. I, I, I appreciate that. But the point is you should think long and hard before doing that. And when you do it, you should think, how do I do it in a loving way? Criticism should only be done in a loving way. And that means I sit with that person 
I tell them, listen, it could be me. Uh, it could be, you know, I wish I didn't. I mean, it, it bothers me. It maybe it shouldn't bother me. How can I help you and us to work through this? That's the only way. If you're going to point fingers and you're going to say, what are you doing this for? You got to change this. Why are you so messy? Why can't you do this? Why can't you make more money? Why can't you cook this way? Why can't it? You're, you're, you're off your game. You're off your game. Don't do it and figure out why that's the way you, 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 have, you want to do it. But if you really want change, then you say, okay, life is about changing. I got stuff to do. You got stuff to do. Here's something particular that's hard for me. I really want to talk to you about it. And I'm happy to talk about how I can be a part of the change. What can I do to make it easier for you not to get upset, uh, to do this, to do that, whatever it is. I'm willing to participate. And that's the only way that, that we really want to suggest change for people. Garrett, let's, let's do a role play. Let's, let's play it out. Let's see how it works. <laughs> so let's say Prince wants to tell a spouse that- You're criticizing me? Is that what you want to do? <laughs> you got something to say? I want to say it nicely and sweet. I don't want you to get insulted, but you stink. <laughs> so how do you actually realistically say- I come, Yeah, I, I come to you and I say, listen, honey, no, 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 let, 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 let's use oh. a specific example. Let's say a man to a woman, right? Let's say yeah. a woman is extremely critical or something she does. And the second you mention that thing, she she jumps off the chain. So it's a very, very quick topic. She's, she's critical? Is that is she's that She's critical. And, and anytime you mention her, stop being so critical, she gets so hypersensitive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So how do you say it gently by expressing it? How would a man say it to his wife something that bothers him realistically without getting her upset, without sounding critical, you know? Right. So I'd say, listen, I would, I would do a preamble. i say, listen, honey, listen, I love you very much. And sometimes if I suggest something or I comment on something, you know, you take it as criticism and you feel hurt and, you, and you're mad at me for saying something. So I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm not interested. I, I love you for who you are. And if you don't change anything, uh, you know, I'll manage. I'll get over it. Okay. However, there's, you know, this one thing uh, I'll, I'll make it up. You know, there's one thing, you know, sometimes you, you know, you, you raise your voice and you scream at me and look, I understand. I understand. I can upset you. I, maybe I'm doing something I don't know that I'm doing. I just want to figure out another way. I'm happy to do whatever you do, whatever you want to be. You, tell me what, what can I do to help you not do that to me? Maybe I deserve it. Maybe and I don't. Sometimes when you do that, you're going to get a missile back. You're telling me about that. Let me tell you about you. Okay, I, honey, I'm happy to hear about what you have to say about me. I mean, fine. Let's let's deal with this. I'm happy to listen to anything you have to say. You want to tell me something about myself? That's fine. But let's do it. I just want to do it in a way that we can do it where I can help you with your stuff and you can help me with my stuff. I mean, not a problem. And a woman to man would be the same, this basic same language. I would get yeah, the same language. It's just it's 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 a it's a language, you know, of not, it doesn't have the tension to it. So it's interesting because what you said back to me, you know, I'm not going to jump at you. That's the point when I'm criticizing. When I'm not going to jump at you, no matter what you say. I'm going to say, OK, I hear what you're saying. You do. Would you like first, honey, to tell me about the things you don't like about me? And then we'll get back to talking about you. I can do that, too. Whatever you want to do, whatever order, whatever helps. I want to help you. You want to help me. No problem. You know? Now, it's hard to do, Usher, because, you know, you know, she's going to think, oh, she's just saying this because she needs ammunition against me because she doesn't. Okay, okay, okay. You know, meanwhile, let's, let's get to it. Let's see what we can do. Stop resisting all the resistance and going forward that way. 
just be open about it, be secure and say, okay, let's, let's, if you want, let's, let's, you go with your list first, no problem. And let's take one thing on the list of each of our lists and let's start working on it and asking each other how we can help each other. So let, let, let me take the next question and let, let's use this question as an example. So he says, I feel like my wife makes such a big deal about small things like coming 15 minutes late and other small stuff. I want to understand why small things set her off and what I could do as a husband to be better. Small things will always happen. So anytime like something happens, she's very hypersensitive. So how would he express this to her and how would she respond? How would she, you know, ask him to be more punctual? I don't, I don't know all, all the, all, how many of all the small things are, but, you know, and again, I don't know if he's 15 minutes late where she's, you know, waiting in the cold snow or, you know, he's 15 minutes late and, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, but he should say, listen, honey, I feel that there's a lot of times that I do things that I see as little, you know, and you see as, as very big and you get very upset about it. I'm not interested in, in making you upset. I don't want to get, it makes me unhappy that you're upset. And I would love to be able to do everything exactly as you want me to do it. Uh, terrific. Give me a pill. I'm happy to take it. I'll take the green pill and the blue pill and the red pill. I'll be exactly as you want me to be, but that's not going to happen. So, you know, we, we have to try to figure out, you know, let, let, we have to try to figure out our signals what's going to happen as much as we can plan. I want to be there for you. I want to do it. So, you know, if it's something that's very important, I got to be there on time. Let me know. You know, I, I get places late. It's very hard for me. I can try. I can tell you I can try. It's not going to happen so simple. But if it's something that's very important to me, we'll have a signal. You'll say, it's very important for me for you to be on time for this thing. And I'll be on time for that thing. But I just want to get to the point where when I do do something, which is upsetting, that you find a different way of telling me. I, I want to listen. That when you bark at me or I feel like you're barking at me, I really don't listen. You don't get what you want. I don't get what I want. And then we're just upset at each other. But if you really want to you know, see if I can do things differently, you can mention things to me in a nice way. You can figure out how to write it down. How can you say it to me in a way that's helpful, that's helpful to you, that you feel that you're not getting so agitated and so upset? That's number one. Number two is, if in that question, there's one of a few things, I'm a marriage counselor, a person comes in and tells me this, there's a few things going through my head. Number one, it could be that she has a problem, that she is overly sensitive and she's looking to fight and she comes from a fighting parental, parental system and you know, could be on her that she is looking to stoke the coals and make issues and make tension could be that's something that I would definitely you know look to her and talk to her about and see about that the other thing could be that a lot of times that he could say to himself maybe you know we're not connecting enough maybe too much of what our relationship is about is you got to do this and I got to do that we're running in different directions very often the, the answer to a lot of problems is not dealing with the problems and instead infusing a lot of positive into a relationship. And this is really an important point because so many people think that the absence of bad makes good. Not true. They've, they work on what's wrong in the relationship because they think if we work on what's wrong and we get rid of the bad, we're going to be so happy. Everything's going to be terrific. Not going to happen. What makes good is positive 
infusion of love and care. So you don't have to be in a great relationship to show love and give positive love and do nice things for each other and, and, and have a, a, a love for each other. You don't have to be in a great relationship. Everybody thinks, well, you know, I mean, it's not like we're going to go out and date and start having fun. I mean, you know, uh, you know, he's, he insulted my mother and she did this and she did that. You know, well, come on. Not true. Not true. Sometimes it is a mistake to just spend all of your time. First, we got to clean up the mess and we got to deal with all the bad stuff. And once we figure all that out, then we can talk about actually being nice to each other and developing something positive. Not true. You've married, you committed, you had children. At this point, you say to yourself, we're always going to have things. So these bad things, so-called, we're going to, we, we can put them aside as much as we can and infuse positive things. You can't believe what happens when a relationship advances positive and we're kind and we do nice things for each other and we show loving gestures toward each other, very often all of that intensity softens and she's no longer, you know, picking on every little thing because you've, you've been nice to her, you've spent more time, we've given each other gifts, we've given each other love, we've, we've, we've been intimate, we've held each other, we've been nice. You know, there's things that we do that, that it, it reduces all of the tension and the conflict. So successful couples are not focused just on the bad. They're always focused on what can we do that can always be loving and moving the marriage forward. Okay, Gary, let's read one, one more email that we'll go to closing, if that's okay? Try to get one yeah. more. Let's do it. Let's see. Okay. Let's see what happens. It's an email. How can I improve my children's respect for my husband? He's a wonderful spouse and a father that goes to Minion, learns every night, and works hard to support his family. However, sometimes you lack immature because he, he loves to have fun or lose his temper and say hurtful things that I think may decrease his sta stature with the kid, in the kid's eye. I do not allow them to speak to him disrespectfully, but I want them to view him with more respect and realize that he's worthy of respect because of many other things that he accomplishes. That's a good question. You know, um, as far as, you know, how to manage children and their position with their father. Um, I think that um, I, the sense I get from her, she's trying to push her children to respect him. And, uh, you know, I don't know that, that she can actually you know, make that happen. Um, I think the most important thing is for her to be, you know, to be okay with it. In other words, you know, if her chip, first of all, when he loses temper, I don't know what he says. I don't know what bad things he says. You know, it's very unfortunate, you know, because people lose their temper, of course, but when they lose their temper sometimes. I mean, first of all, we should all learn that if we lose our temper, just to walk out of the room, to leave, it, it, it is, it is, I, I, I haven't heard anything better. I can't imagine anything better than exit um, if you actually get upset. It's always better because the way a person looks and acts and says and behaves, it's, it's rarely anything that you're going to be proud of. Or you're going to not uh, be sorry that you, you did that. So leaving always, uh, you know, gives a person a sense of, of calming themselves. And that should be potentially something that she could talk to her spouse about. Again, you know, if, if, if he's a good person and he can hear her, then that might be one thing to say, honey, listen, 
it's great. It's, I can live with it. It's fine. But I just feel sometimes you work so hard to make the kids a good, fa a good father for the kids. And I feel that, you, you know, it's, it's silly for you to lose it. I feel bad that you would lose, you know, their sense of respect because you get angry and, and, and say things that are nasty. Um, so that does go a long way. Unfortunately, we can work so hard. But if we do something that is so biting and so disturbing to children, uh, it can take away a lot of that, you know, a lot of that good. So that might be a situation where she might want to um, act on or talk to somebody together with him to help him learn how to find other practical methods of dealing with that, like leaving, exiting, as, as opposed to dealing, of course, on a deeper level about why he's getting so angry and angry and having a temper and behaving that way, because he sounds to be a very lovely person who you would not imagine um, would behave that way. So there's something, you know, off within him, that it would be great if he could look at. Um, but, you know, the one thing with, with children is that they know the MS, you know? So if she's gonna sit there and say, just respect your father, just respect your father, you deserve respect, yes. But sometimes it's okay for a mother to say, listen, I understand that Tati sometimes loses his temper. And I understand that doesn't feel very good when he does it, you know? And I understand, I mean, it's okay for you to wish that didn't happen, but understand that that doesn't mean that he doesn't do 95% of the time or more. He does things, keep in mind during those times, he does things that are very loving for you, that does many kind gestures. He works very hard for this family. And for that, I feel that, you know, he deserves a lot of respect. And for that reason, you know, I respect him a great deal. And I think that's the best message you can give. Not that you, 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 you have to. It's that I respect him as a father, as a husband, because of all the good things he does. And even though it's okay to wish that, you know, he would not do certain things, that doesn't mean that, you know, you lose all of your respect for that person, or they don't put all of that effort in. But again, I don't exactly know what he's saying. If he's screaming and saying, I can't stand this, you know, whatever. Okay, if he's screaming and saying to his kids, you know, you're a disappointment and, um, you know, whatever, you know, I wish you were never born or some, you know, ridiculous to be dramatic, you know, then, then okay, that might be something that, you know, you might not expect a kid to get over and you don't want to train them to think that that's the kind of thing that you get over. Uh, that's something I think you have to, you know, pick up on, you have to manage. But short of those emotionally abusive situations, um, I, I, I caution her again, not to just say, respect him. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear that, just respect him. Say, let, let him talk. Let the kids talk. Let the kids say, well, I like when daddy does it, I thought this isn't. Okay, I get it. I understand that. I understand. I, I, why would you feel good about that? You know, I get that. You know, at the same, and I give them a place to express themselves. And while they're doing that, it gives them a chance to hear you out and hear why you can still see him as a good person and teach them how to love people with their, you know, failures and with some of their weaker, messier places. Beautiful, Gary. Beautiful. Okay, let's go to closing. Gary, you can leave us with something powerful before you leave. So you gotta, I'm giving you two, a few minutes to warm up. Okay, powerful. Yeah, you only spoke. This was the warm up. Close that tie. Something's got to be powerful in there. <laughs> Just repeat it. So, anyway, firstly, big thank you to Gary Newman for coming on again. It was unbelievable tonight. Tremendous, tremendous share. Again, I think we got to do this like, you know, I think you're in. You're, right. you're, you're in the. Well, okay, at least yearly. For now, I'm at least honored. yearly. I'm honored. Really. Thank you.
and the tremendous chizik. Again, like I always said, this you know Shalom is always something that we need to reiterate and rechazer. It's not something that you know just simply be nice, just simply be validating, just simply talk nice, and then you have the magic potion. It's 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 a work in process. Um, again, tonight's share is sponsored by Fresh Start, which is the Fresh Start is an intensive seven day retreat designed to help you understand, process, and heal from unresolved trauma and abuse. Um, they have one slot open for the women's session starting Sunday, November 6th, which is next Sunday. And there's two slots open for the men's session starting November 20th. To learn more, go to www.jewishfreshstart.com. It's the website. You can call them at 248-301-9997. Again, I've heard personally a lot of people that went there. Tremendous feedback who've attended. Um, Menachem will email, email and send out all the information to, to, to the program. And again, Rav Shimon Russell is the co-founder. Many other trauma experts work to create an incredible program over there. And it's in Detroit. And uh, again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, we have the Shirk. WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Or go to menachembarefield.com, sign up for the flyers, for the weekly flyers. And see who's coming on and get the replays. And uh, next week, we have the Choshev of Shia Kohn, Choshev of ZA from Five Towns and Priority One. The topic will be re revolutionizing our children's children our children's chinuch experience, how to successfully prepare our children for life. You can hear from the master of chinuch, Rabbi Rabbi Shai Kohn, who's an unbelievable person. I know him pretty well. Um, again, everything is recorded tonight. We'll be at Shema Menachem Bernfeld.com. If anybody has any questions, you can email coachmenachemajima.com. Tonight is share 120. If you want to listen to it on the phone lines tomorrow, the number is 844-888-777-GROW. That's 848 777 grow. And if anybody wants to get in touch with Gary Newman, he's going to give you his personal cell phone, his email address, his social security number. But better yet, <laughs> go to his website, www.newmanmethod.com. And I'm sure that has a contact and all the information there, right, Gary? Is that the way to go? Yes, yes, sir. Okay. And again, thank you to all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, Ellie and Ariel, Ariel from Five Town Central, Kyla Kaufman, and Shmuel Summer from JCN. And uh, I just wanted to say it was, it was very powerful tonight. I think we encompassed a lot. I think the title had to be a little bit bigger. You know, that's right. For now, we're just going to write next time, Gary, October 2023, marriage, just ask it, from, you know, from beginners, bring to, bring, beginners to experts, beautiful marriages to trauma, everything. We'll just bring it all on. Excellent. So that's that my opinion. Menachem, let's wrap it up with a closing. And then Gary, something powerful. Take away. Thank you. Thank you very much, Gary. And yes, it was very powerful. Um, like you mentioned, you love making these concepts simple so people could understand it. And then, obviously, the work is work. And uh, you have to start with the first step. And like you mentioned, you didn't mention, you know, it, if you can do it yourself or you need help with therapy or to, to realize what's the trigger, why you're acting that way. But all of it, for some people, it can be um, work that has to be done whether with a therapist or somebody who can help you. But I do want to mention there are people out there who, who are in pretty challenging marriages and for them to hear these ideas, sometimes it's hard for them. It's, they don't see where they can apply it. And yes, like we mentioned, some self-care, try to find the help that you need where you can go. And uh, a lot of people have a hard time starting the journey of therapy because like we heard there there are therapists out there that not always does it work for every person so it's hard and finally you manage to get your spouse and so vulnerable and then they have to decide after a few times to go someone else it's you know it's much easier to stay home 
and not start the journey. Yes, it is easier. However, you know, if you want results, it is hard work, but to get to the third one, you have to find the first and the second, and then go to the third, which can be very hard, but it's a journey. And hopefully you find the right one at the beginning, but it is possible that the first one is not for you. The second one hopefully is, and it's not, it's the third one. And yes, a lot of people struggle, but Hashem should help. Uh, whatever whatever works, whatever that first step is that we need to take to enhance um, on our journey in Mitzvah we should have Siyat HaDashmaya, and we should be able to take those steps. Thank you very much for being with us tonight, and in Mitzvah we should be able to implement the ideas that we heard in Mitzvah Thank you. Gary, before we go to our closing, I just want to share an image that somebody made because of one of your comments. Can you see that? No, it's just loading on my. Tell me, tell me when you see it. Oh, see life through the lens of somebody else. That's where connection happens, and it's a uh, a lens, a uh, camera lens. It's beautiful. Gary Newman, I coach Menachem. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> All the thousands of people that are going to listen to this later and meet you, in Mammy Beach, and say, "Oh, I heard you on the Sheer." Exactly. Give them exactly. the message. That's the story. Um, I, Coach Menachem, I appreciate what you said, um, and yes. It, it is a message that we should send that it's very hard to get started. And it's hard to get started because it's, it's, it's not simple. I, I tell people life isn't poetry. You know, it's not just a simple couple lines and oh, everything's fine. It's, it, there's, a, there's, there's a lot going on and we need a lot of energy. And that's why, whether it's through a therapist, whether it's through a book, whether it's an online program, whatever it is, just start. Just keep moving and try to find more and more information, talk to people, connect to people. I think one of the worst things for people in bad marriages is they, they feel so alone and they're afraid to talk to anybody, uh, even a, a, a dear friend, a sibling, somebody. I mean, you, you shouldn't tell everybody, you got confidentiality issues. I mean, of course, but just you, you have to start and you have to start to find some way your rhythm. So the journey sounds kind of all, you know, hoity-toity and cute and nice and that, but it's, 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 it is very hard. And, um, uh, but you know, it, it's, it, you just got to start, like you said, it's, it's uh, the idea of depression, right? What do you do with a friend of yours who's depressed? You walk over there every day, you get them out of bed, you walk around the block, you know, and you just, you just got to push yourself to do that in order to get to a better place. And then your mind really does find a greater opening. You know, I, I, I didn't really plan an inspirational closing, but it's come to me. And I think it really fits with what I'm trying to say tonight, which is the challenges of life. And we're coming into it, and I've done my best to study the marriage of Avram and Sarah. And, you know, they are a fascinating, wonderful couple. And the reason they're so wonderful is because life was hard. Life was challenging. There was a lot of complications. These are the are this are our main mother and father. The 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 the, the Bali Chesed. They, they were unbelievable people. But you know what we learn about them? This one particular thing. We know that she left. She was mitzachek. Oh, what a big problem. We know when 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 she was captured, they were intimate, and they use the same word mitzachek. We know that they named their kid Yitzchak. Very 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 on the surface. You know what it means? It means that you can take all the things that go through life, 
But if you work on it and you talk it out with each other and you figure life out as difficult as it, it becomes wonderful. Yitzchak becomes the name of one of our others. And it started off as, you know, Sarah laughing and Hashem going to Avram saying, what is she laughing about? You know, I mean, it, it started off in a very, very dangerous place. But because they were fully committed to each other. And believe you me, when Sarah came to Avram and said, get rid of your kid, get rid of your oldest kid. These were not easy moments. These were not easy times for a marriage. You know, these were very complicated situations. So I just love the feel that Hashem gave us gracious, you know? I mean, why do we have gracious? What's it doing here? I mean, I... Lahavdil, I have a, a dear friend of mine who tells me that if, if you would have read Gracious, you didn't know God wrote it, you would have thought it's a Jane Austen novel. I mean, it's like, it's such an, it's like, what's going on with these families? But clearly, Hashem cares tremendously about our relationships with our spouses and our children and our, and our society. Clearly, it's, it's extremely important to Hashem to put so much effort there. And I think that is... That is the message that we have to say with all the minyanim and learning and tilm that we say and all the wonderful things we do for others in community. Clearly, Hashem has a tremendous love and adoration for people to be able to connect with each other. And you just have to remember that life is long. If you can just keep working at it, you'd be amazed as you live longer and longer and longer, you do get smarter and you start to realize that what I was upset about, I didn't need to be upset about, but thank goodness I kept with that person and I kept at it. So it's to Coach Menachem's point, it seems like so, so vague and, you know, it's so hard and it seems so deep and it seems so complicated, but Avram and Sarah, they just, they just, they just kept at it. They just kept at it from situation to situation. They kept evaluating every situation. They kept managing through every situation. And because they did that, they came to a pleasant place where they were able to develop their marriage into this beautiful space. And, um, you know, we all, we all know that it's hard. And when we say it's hard work, that's what we mean. There's many days it's just easier just to give up. But every single moment that we continue to use that energy and we call upon Hashem, give us more strength every day with our marriages, with our children, with our work, you know, that's, that's what gets us there. So just appreciate it. Appreciate how hard each of us work. Let your spouse know how much you appreciate who they are and what they do, even the things that they're supposed to do. It's still a lot of work. And, uh, and let's all be there for each other. Let's all support each other. You know, let's, I think it's another big thing. Be a mentor. You see other relationships. You know, you see people at Kiddush, you know, uh, who have friction. You see people at Kiddush who are drinking too much. You see, you know, be a sport, you know, like don't, don't just say that, ah, okay, whatever. Thank goodness I'm not them. Don't do that. You know, talk to the person, make a friendship, invite them over you know, be there for each other. It means a lot to, to people to have other couples in their lives who they can hang with and who they can learn good things. People really do 
learn better relationships from being around other people who have good relationships. People learn how to be better parents by being around people who have other parents. Invite those kids over if they know that you know that their, their family screams and yells. Invite those kids over, give them a place, give them a little respite, show them uh, another, another part of life and, and give them a little break. I mean, we, 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 if we have brachos, let's, let's spread those brachos around because Hashem gave it to us you know, to give around. You don't have to have money just to give stuck. It's, it's in us. And, and the love that you have, it, 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 it's, it goes so far. You see a woman like we had tonight who, who's suffering, you know, just to take a few minutes and tell her you care and, and take her out to lunch and, and let her talk to you. And you don't know what to say, but at least she has somebody who understood she unloaded to means so much to be there for each other. And, and I just, I, I love being here and what you guys have done for all of us in the community and, uh, and Hashem should give you a lot of continued profit to you and all your family. They, he's got to give you tremendous energy and well-being to be able to keep doing this for, uh, for, his, for his people. Amen. Mordechai, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And all right. we love you. Good night. Thanks a lot. Feel good, everybody. Thank you so much. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance. Mm-hmm.